And welcome to Final Games, the podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and I welcome you to the 10th episode of the show. My guest this week is someone I followed for an incredibly long time, partially because he went to the same university as me, and also because for a long time he was one of the only Welsh homelanders working in the gaming industry. A graduate of Aberystwyth University in Wales, he has worked as a video producer for multiple gaming publications such as CVG, Official Nintendo Magazine, Total Film, and now as one of the main video producers slash hosts of IGN UK, where he's created content on just about everything, from comics and movies to games. He's interviewed a whole spectrum of people, from Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford to even Vin Diesel. He most recently interviewed Sachin Baron Cohen in character over a game of FIFA. He's known for his humour and being an incredibly funny guy. If you follow him on Twitter or lucky enough to have him on Facebook, he's constantly posting hilarious photos or crazy projects that he's working on. Previously, whilst at CVG, one of those projects was a video collaboration with his nan in a video series called Gamergram where his actual grandmother reviewed video games. He's been a member and co-host of the unrivaled comedy podcast Regular Features since its inception in 2011. Since then, he and his three other co-hosts have released over 170 episodes and embarked on live shows all across the UK. He's someone whose work I've admired for a long time and I'm incredibly happy to have him on the show today. He's comedy's very own Gav Murphy. Borodar Gav, Tinyaun. Hi, that is the nicest thing anyone's ever said about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so... The, sort of re- the British person in me is just like, oh, fuck it out. <laughs> like, but yeah, thanks, man. That's ridiculously nice. Thank you. No, it's wonderful to have you on the show today. How are you doing today? Yeah, really good, man. Really good. Um, I'm back. Yeah, well, I've, me and my girlfriend just got into Deadwood in a really big way. Like, ah. uh, so... Like everyone else is going on about Daredevil this weekend, but yes, because season explode. two is it's out, bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit too explodey for me. Uh, I don't. I love Daredevil. He's not my favorite character, but I don't know. Like all the trailers have just had explosions and fighting and stuff in it. So yeah, we've gone to Deadwood, which is a lot of cowboys talking and cussing, <laughs> which is really good. So yeah, we've just literally just been in a hole of Deadwood all weekend, which is lovely. Yeah, it's partially filmed in Wales as well, isn't it? In Cardiff, I think. What? Yeah. No, it wasn't. I think so. I think so. Was it really? Right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check that out because my girlfriend makes fun of me saying like I always try and link people and things back to Wales. Like just this week, I've sent her articles claiming that Shakespeare was Welsh, uh, uh, <laughs> um, Saint Patrick uh, was Welsh, and also Eminem. So now I'm gonna get on the deck. Edward I could, I could, I could totally be wrong, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I've read that part. Part of it is filmed in Wales. 
Amazing. Yeah. That's good. I'm not I sure. Like that. I, I, could, I could totally be wrong. It's either that or some right. other show that's very similar to it. I could sound like someone's going to be barking at me now, like listening to this, being like, "You're so wrong." <laughs> yeah. yeah, it happens yeah. all the time, man. Like, I, I, I did a video this week where, like, we we've challenged this guy that I work with, Rory Powers, who's an amazing guy. You should definitely get him on at some point because he's just a crazy guy to talk to. But <laughs> we've tried because he's never played Dark Souls before. We've challenged him to try and finish Dark Souls. Yeah, I've, three I've seen out. the first episode. It's oh, really it's, funny. It's, but in the <laughs> middle of that, so it's just like people just chatting while he's talk, while he's yeah. um, playing. It's uh, you um, and we, uh, Daniel Kruper, isn't it? Daniel Kruper, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, Rory Powers doing it. And it, it's, it's like it's one of these things that we don't usually do because we usually like really heavily edit any Let's Plays, so they're about like four six minutes. So letting them run yeah. long is awesome. But at the same time, you just you just talk as if you're on a podcast. So yes. I think there was like this in like the first or second episode. I couldn't remember what. The I can't remember it now. <laughs> Fuck, um, <laughs> I couldn't remember. You have people talking about it. This one now, but I couldn't remember what the stuff that they make in Game of Thrones is. You know, like the fire stuff, like the fire bombs. Anyway, uh, I couldn't oh, remember. Oh, what... uh, yeah, it's annoying. Oh, but I, I couldn't remember what the it was. jars, was the like, jars of stuff, isn't yeah. it? That just keeps burning. Um, but under underneath. Uh, in the comments was just all this different stuff going, it's this, you fucking idiot. So, yeah, if you're wrong about Deadwood, that's what you're going to get. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Oh, God. I, you see, now I'm going to think about it constantly, about what the thing from Game of Thrones is. Oh, yeah. It's like in the jars, isn't it? And Tyrion throws it into the river. Spoilers for season two. Game uh, of Thrones. Wildfire. Wildfire. Yes. That is... So. That should be very memorable, really. It's a very unoriginal <laughs> name. <laughs> it's, it's also the it's also the name of an episode as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh well. Okay, so what I wanted to ask you, and basically I ask everyone who works in okay. the gaming industry, is how did you get your start? Then how how did you go from Wales to the lovely lights of London? Um, it was. I'm trying to think now, like, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I've talked about this on MCV, like, I did like an interview about how I got into my thing. So if people have read that, then I'm sorry, but I'm going to repeat it. But basically, <laughs> I was, I, it was actually quite funny, because I did an MA in script writing, because I did film at Aberystwyth, um, which yeah. is an amazing course to do, because they teach you how to use a camera and edit, yes. um, which is something that I do every single day now. My two um, housemates so also people... did that course as well, actually. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like they they teach you how to use the exact software that I used for eight for like three years or four years at Future Publishing. So it's like when people do university courses and just and you can't obviously teach it yourself as well pretty easily. But yeah. it was just good to have a really good basis of stuff. But I did an MA in script writing because I had this sort of idea that I was going to be this amazing sort of I don't know like film writer or something like that. Like <laughs> um, before I realized I actually wasn't that good. Um, but. I had this guy on my course who he was just like a typical film person who just talked utter shit. Um, and in Aberystwyth, he was like, you're in West Wales in Aberystwyth, mate. You're not. And like, he, he'd say stuff like, oh, yeah, I'm uh, flying out to L.A. next week. Uh, Steven's picking me up at the airport. And me and my mate would be like, all right, wicked. And he'd be like, St Steven Spielberg? And we're like, fuck off. Absolute <laughs> lying bastard. <laughs> like, he just talks so much shit. But this guy, basically, he um he he got to london 
uh, from everyone that I knew and was the only person who had a job working in remotely what was something to do with our course and was working for yeah. this um, sports this, uh, sports uh, show like company thing and basically what they did was they provided they did all the websites for except for the top four in the Premier League they did all the websites for football uh, teams for like so the like clubs. if you went to yeah, for every single club. So oh, except for okay. the top four, if you went to any of their websites, it was the exact same website, just with different colors on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, he w- basically, he worked for them. And as soon as I got to, he was like a producer there. And as soon as I got to London, I was, I was working in Thresher's, the wine shop on like, it was something really disgusting, like 300 quid a month. That's how much I was oh. earning. Um, and I'll kind of talk about it later because it relates to one of my games, but like, it, it was dark times. Pound <laughs> <laughs> is nothing. No, um, no, it is, London, especially was, in yeah. London. Yeah, you wouldn't even yeah, be able looking... to live on that in Wales, let alone London. No, like, and I was just lucky enough that my girlfriend at the time she had, um, she had a job here, so I could live with her rent free, which is amazing. So I would definitely recommend that. But he had this job, and he was like, "Oh, we need a junior researcher." And I was like, "Okay, fine, whatever." Thinking it's going to be utter bollocks, and I went in, and there was this sort of daily sports news show um, that got delivered out to all these like different satellites. And I think like like we were huge in Mexico. We were like Mexico's most watched sports news show and stuff <laughs> like that. It was bonkers. Um, anyway, so it was like kind of proper telly. Uh, so I went to work for them as a junior researcher and worked for them for like three years, but, and like s- kept honing my sort of editing skills all the time, even though I kind of wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And then job came up on the official Nintendo magazine, which was, it was kind of like, uh, it was a show that was paid for by Nintendo, um, but sort of powered by the official Nintendo magazine sort of thing. So it was kind of like, it was, it was, I guess, like the earliest form of like advertorial, basically. Yeah. Um, so I did that for ages. Uh, but basically, I went in for the interview and a guy called Dave Bonington, who now works at the Yogscast, uh, sort of gave me my massive break. I'm, I'm always eternally grateful to him for that because I don't know what I would have done if I didn't get that job. I was so lucky. But like, you know, when you just like put all your eggs in one, one basket, basket yeah. and you're just, and I was just like, if I don't get this job, then it's just suicide. That's the only thing I can do. Like, <laughs> that's kind of how I'm how I'm feeling about like my next year. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. It was hard though. Like I I don't envy anybody, especially now. It's even worse. Yeah. Because at the time when like so they hired me and I was basically the only. It was me and another guy. We were like some of the only video people in London. Um. So what was good about that? Even though like the job, it, it was pretty sort of uh, not watered down but we were we had no like nintendo had no control over editorial or anything like that like we were allowed to do whatever we want but obviously you're still doing working with the parameters of it being a nintendo brand i was working i was making nintendo tv which was for nintendo and it was a piece of like advertorial content so something that you know nintendo were paying for um which you know it's, it's a big thing in the moment for big websites doing like advertorial stuff i that's really one of the only bits of advertorial content i've ever done and that was because i was hired we were hired basically as like a you know a production company to make that for nintendo they had no bearing on the editorial content whatsoever yeah but they did pay for it it's Um, really tricky isn't it because it's like you are called official nintendo yeah so people expect that there's there has to be a relationship between you and nintendo which people do find yeah. sometimes difficult because they're like, well, your reviews, they must be paid by Nintendo. You must be paid by Nintendo yeah. to say these things and that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, that's the thing. It never was. Like, it's really frustrating. You see, like, 
I've started seeing a lot recently where no, it's not just uh, it's not it's not just we get accused every single day on IGN um, of t- you know being paid for coverage and stuff yeah. like that. It's not yeah. something that that we we do do advertorial content, but whenever it is, it's like marked up as ad- advertorial. But what it's, what's really frustrating is where you see journal- like you know there's a lot of people on Twitter who are just loudmouths on Twitter. Like there's a lot of people in the games industry who'd rather just say they work in the games industry just for the sake of it. Yeah. And you see all these people like you see them every day. Like I don't get involved. If, if you even looked at my Twitter, there's no point in me getting involved in like serious conversations because I'll get involved in a serious conversation. One thing it'll be a picture of me sitting on the toilet having a shit two yes. seconds later. So like I've, really, I've really got no arguments. But it's really frustrating when you see you see all these different journalists thinking they know how IGN is run and being like, oh, well, this was this best content here. This was paid for by the publisher. And you're just like, you have no idea what is going on. And it's really frustrating to see other journalists who don't know how things are going on accusing, or not even accusing, just saying, oh, this is a thing that IGN were paid to do. And it's like, I sorted out that video. I know, unless somewhere along the line, I'm I'm being paid and I'm forgetting about it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's really like it, I, I I look when you work for a big when you work for a big site like advertorial and you know paid for content is a thing that is the thing that happens. I don't get asked to do it because I'm not very good at it. Like <laughs> because I, I if I like something then I'll say that I like it. If I don't like it, I can't say. I just have yeah. don't have a filter in me. You if you look at me, you know exactly what I'm feeling a hundred of the time that's something which like the guy i work with krupa says is a good and a bad thing about me he's like i know exactly what you're feeling every second of the day <laughs> um, which probably makes me a bad person to advertorial but at the same time i'm not naive enough that i would slag the people who do it off because i work for a massive company so yeah. you know i they uh, luckily this stuff happens so then i can then do whatever i want to do um but i think it, it, you just have to be completely honest with your audience and be like you know this is a really this is a bit of content that people are paid for and it's you know it happens in magazines a lot and i think that we i don't think websites have found it like the perfect way of doing it yet but yeah i'm certainly not going to slag people off who you know that's what the stuff yeah, they do. i think it's one of those things i think it's difficult for some people because especially when they read a review like on a site like mm-hmm. GameSpot or ign or any of the other you know big sites like polygon as well yeah. and like you're reading a review of say you know super smash brothers and then yeah. on the sides is adverts of yeah. Super Smash Brothers. And yeah. I, I think people don't I think people get it in their heads that they're like, huh, advert review. Advert review. Yeah. Those two have to be linked. The reviewer yeah. has to have been involved in the advertising yeah. that is appearing that, on the they, site. Which is not. <laughs> the two separate actually, departments like- and these my people. boss is incredible at it. Whereas, like, you know, we do the sales guys in the same office as us. The sales guys will come over to us, start talking, and then my boss is amazing at doing it. When this, when this conversation starts getting to a point where it, you know, you start to think, hang on, they shouldn't be involved. My boss will put a stop to that conversation and be like, oh, don't speak to them about that. Like, come speak to me about that. Like, don't speak to the editorial about sales things or anything like that. Anything that could happen, just don't do it. And yeah. it, it, that definitely happens on our thing. Um, it, it happens at our like it happens to our site but it's something that i definitely don't have to be involved in but this, this thing the awesome thing that happened with the nintendo channel stuff was i was making this bit of advertorial content we were getting paid for it so my job was justified and then i could go off and do all this other stuff as well which was yeah. amazing well that's the thing i think if you're honest with yourself as well it's like who cares people are just they don't know and they'll never know because they'll yeah. never believe you even if you come out flat and say it's like 
this exactly, yeah. wasn't paid for. What's wrong with you? We, we had, well, I can't remember what it was the other day. It was like our division review. Um, I think uh, we gave it like a 6.8 or something. Like we didn't give it, a, a, it, but it was a decent review, but you know, whatever you think a 6.8 is, I don't know. But then there was those people going, oh, um, yeah, IGN, IGN, basically, how can you, you can't be accused of being paid for that review when we gave it a 6.8. If you if you were Ubisoft and you were paying us, then you're doing a shit job of it if you're getting yeah, a, but a 6.8. It, it's not even that. It's like, um, what is it? It's like, oh, well, IGN definitely didn't get paid for this review. Yeah. So, but then at the same time, I, I saw somebody else arguing, going, um, oh, yeah, IGN will mark you down if you don't give them enough um, access pre-launch. And I was thinking, hang on, I was involved in the IGN first, which is like a month-long's worth of content that we yeah. do on like games that haven't come out. Yeah. And we, we were given access that nobody else got to that game. And we made a lot of cool stuff out of it. But then, so what's the argument there? Like, this guy is like, oh yeah, we, the, Ubisoft didn't give IGN enough cover, enough access pre-launch, so they gave it a shit review. And it's like, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Like the worst, the, the worst thing is, is like when you see something where all these like conspiracy theories and stuff, and some of it is, you know, some of it is fans, some of it is journalists, and they just, they've just made up in their head or how they think IGN is run or how they think GameSpot is run or any of these different sites. If you, if people actually knew, not IGN, but other companies I've worked, if you actually knew the stuff that went on, if those Gamergate people got hold of that, like, and sometimes I'll watch it on Twitter. Like I'll watch, you know, a uh, developer release a game, like an indie developer release a game. And then yeah. I'll see a review of it going up and then be like, I know that those people are best friends. <laughs> like, and it's just like, <laughs> The, the people, uh, the, the way that they do, the way that they make these different like shitty detective jumps and stuff. If they're doing it in the right way, I'd be like, oh yeah, okay, I can kind of see how that would be connected. People don't, man. <laughs> they they'd rather just go, oh yeah, IGN are being bored or something like that. Like, pff, so crazy. Like, it's really I'd weird. like to have a. I'd like to have a conversation with a publisher when they were like, you know, oh, you have some money to make a game. I think, I, I, I think it's happened maybe like three or four times where I've been at big companies where a publisher has come to me and gone, uh, not while I've been at IGN, while I've been working at other places where they've gone, oh, we want you to like, would you like to make a video that's hosted on our channel? Um, we'll pay you this amount for uh, production costs. I think that's the closest that I've come. And I'm just like, well, no, because if I like that game, I'll make a video about it anyway. Yeah. Now I'm just not going to because... I don't want to feel like I'm involved with you at all. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, really, it's it's a really strange thing. Like, I understand that a lot of people have to do it, but I think you kind of can choose not to do it. Like, I've never been forced to do anything that... I've never been forced to do anything at any company that I worked at that I didn't want to do because I think I'm stubborn enough and I'm not able to hide how I feel enough that it just fucking wouldn't be worth it for them. <laughs> it's it's strange. And it's it's something that is never going to go away. It's just something that people who work in the industry in terms of like working at big companies like Polygon, GameSpot, IGN, all that kind of thing are just going to have to deal with forever because there's going to be this group of people out there who are going to be, I don't know, it almost seems like jealousy in a way. Like they're trying to force you out of your job so they can step in and be like, well, I'm going to do it better and I'm not going to, yeah have anyone pay me to say this and all that kind of thing it's really strange yeah like that that's the thing like i think you know big companies they you you should be transparent and stuff all the time but like i work for a giant company all i can do is make sure that i'm making the best thing stuff that i am and i'm 100 percent happy with everything yeah. that i make because if i'm if i'm not i just won't do it 
Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's, re- it's a really strange situation, but hopefully it's something that will get better, I think. Like, and I think the more people, you know, I, I've I heard like, you know, Danny O'Dwyer on your show and stuff talking about it. I think the more people who you know, are like that and will be like, you know, this is not the thing that I'm interested in doing. Like, we're lucky enough that we work for big companies where I can get away with just doing the stuff that I really like doing, which yeah. is, I'm super lucky to be in. Yes. Um, but we got to do some really cool stuff. There's a guy called Matt Elliott who used to write it with me. Um, and he is one of the best writers in the UK. Well, like, well, in the world at games, like anything he, like you can ask him to write about anything and he'll make it funny. Um, and he's still, he's still working at Future Now. I'm not sure what, what, I think he's like commissioning editor or something like that for okay. Games Radar. But yeah, absolutely one of the funniest guys. But he's also one of these guys who like, you know, he doesn't get involved in just the sort of bollocks sort of shoulder rubbing of the games industry. And he just gets on and writes amazing stuff, which I really admire, which is amazing. But yeah, it was me and him making this thing. And because we basically, I think Future had me and this other video guy but because we made, you know, I basically was making this weekly show for Nintendo. And as soon as I was done with the weekly show, I was basically allowed to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. Um, so it was a case of, at the beginning, it was taking me a week to make. And then as I started sort of chatting to more and more people at Future and realizing that they wanted to do cool video stuff, the Nintendo show started taking five, like four days to make, then three days, then two days. Then I was knocking it out in a day. Ah. <laughs> uh, because then I met people... Uh, like uh, John Blythe or Log, everyone knows him as. We were in the yeah. pub and like he, he's generally the reason why I wanted to make videos about video games, which is amazing. Um, so was this when and, John was working, uh, was he working for Xbox Magazine at the time? He, well, he was, he was still, that was still when PC Zone was alive. Ah, um, God rest her soul. God, that was a long time ago. Uh, but <laughs> I know, that was, the, that was when PC Zone was still alive and then they closed PC Zone and Log was kind of like, I guess like freelance for a while and that and I'd seen him do the Blythe report for IGN which like I remember watching that I was like I still don't think there's anything like it um like there's nothing as funny as has ever been as funny as that I don't think um but when I went to work at Future I was like oh hey like he was there he was just this dude and I remember I remember like I like I can't remember what it was but he'd asked I think it was like Chris Scullion who I was probably because like being a short, like tubby, hairy dude, I was exactly <laughs> the kind of guy Log would fancy. So I think he was trying to find out if I was gay as well. Um, but we, like in the email thread that then Scullion forwarded to me, it was like Log sort of going, hey, we should all go for Hernando's or something like that. But I hated Nando's. I was like, how about we just go to the pub? Um, and I think we, we ended up yeah in the pub, me and Log. And I was like, Oh, I'd had like three pints. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to say, it. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, huge fan of every single thing you've ever done. Um, <laughs> and I think the Blythe Report was amazing. Like, if you'd ever want to do something like that with me, like, I'd love to do it. Um, so we started the OXM breakdown, yes. which is one of the best things, I've, which is one of the best things I've ever worked on. Uh, so it was just funny. so much fun working with Log. Um, and yeah, it kind of just went from there, really. And then at Future, we got to do loads of other stuff. And then, uh, I met, so I met Log, uh, Steve Hogarty was the editor of official Nintendo magazine or deputy editor, then editor for a bit. And then also Matt Lees, um, who uh, was brought on as a staff writer for OXM as well. So at, f- at one point, all four people, um, of the regular features podcast all worked together in the same office, which was amazing. And we barely got to work together on any <laughs> stuff or anything like that. And it was just like, that'll always be one of my biggest regrets is that we never sort of 
because we were all pretty junior, except for Steve, actually, who's the fucking editor of a magazine. But <laughs> we were all pretty junior. So it's kind of like this thing we were like, can we do something together? And Future were just really not big on the sort of brands sort of merging or anything merging, like that. Yeah. So like they kind of like kept official Xbox, official Nintendo very, very separate. Um, which is just really such a stupid idea. Like you've got all these amazing people working under the same roof and you don't let them work together. Yeah. Fuck knows. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but then I started working for CVG a lot uh, when sort of they were really pushing CVG's YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, we just, it was an amazing team at CVG, like just brilliant. And I just got the freedom to do anything that I wanted to do. <laughs> so that's where I was just like, oh, my nan plays video games quite a lot. She's the funniest person that I know. So <laughs> I'll just film her doing stuff. I remember, I remember when I was working yeah. at Rockstar and we saw... I remember I saw you post, I think it was on Facebook or something, the CVG Gamer Grand Grand Theft Auto 5 review. And yeah. I absolutely lost it. It was so funny. <laughs> so funny. It was, it was just brilliant. Like, like, also, in terms of, like, economical way of making videos, like, I would go home, we were, I, would make, I would film, like, six weeks' worth of videos with her, and yeah. then just they would take maybe, I don't know, two hours to edit, something like that. But yeah, I think it, it was one of those things where you could just see there was an audience of people who really loved that. Even though, <laughs> like, it's the same with everything that I make. It's never like, you know, millions and millions and millions. It's always like a re- the thing that I really like, and also is possibly my downfall, is the stuff that I make is never going to be like, you know, top of Reddit or anything like that. Yeah. But I'll, I'll maybe get like an audience of between five and 10,000 of people who will fucking love it. <laughs> and I don't know that like, I'm not, I don't get, I'm going to pay per video. Like, uh, you know, uh, so if I can make something that 5,000 people absolutely fucking love and still get paid, that's awesome for me. I don't care. And that was the thing with Game of Grand. Like that was uh, even on, on CVG, I think a, some of them did break a barrier and they were like making, doing quite, you know, not too bad sort of numbers, but we had people going on news stories. I think it came out on a Monday and we'd have people going on news stories that were being posted up on Monday going, where's Game of Grand? Why isn't Game of Grand yet? Like <laughs> in the comments were just like some bollocks about some Borderlands DLC or something like that. Like, <laughs> so funny. Um, and she she got turned into a little like zealous celebrity in, she, yeah, uh, in she South did. Wales. Yeah, she got, she got <laughs> spotted. <laughs> um, my mom was telling me about this thing. Like, sorry, if no one's ever seen Game of Grand, just Google Game of Grand. Yeah. If you Google Game of Grand Batman, I think is probably the best one. But <laughs> she, she was at my niece's uh, like school play and this little kid who was like really nervous um, with his mum, like was sort of just standing there. My mum, my mum, I wasn't there, but my mum clocked them. And my mum was like, okay, what, what are they staring at? But, and all of a sudden then the woman and the kid came close and was just like, huh, um, are you Game of Grand? <laughs> and apparently like, my, my nan, she's like, she's like the sweetest person in the world. But my nan was just like, absolutely fronted it up, which is really cool. Cause like, yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for watching the videos. Like, and he was like, do you mind if I have a picture? And she's like, yes. It's like, it's like fucking nine year old kid having a, asking for a photo with my 80 year old gran. <laughs> it was amazing. And apparently she was just cool about it. And like, even afterwards, it wasn't like, you know, going to bits or anything. Going yeah. like, oh my God, he asked for a photo. She was just like, oh, thanks. Keep watching the videos, won't you? My mom's just looking at her going, who are you? <laughs> How upset was she then when you told her that there'd be no more Game of Grand? I never told her. I never, I never, not, not that she's waiting for me to come home. Uh, film some, <laughs> she hasn't but, seen you in about three years. <laughs> You're too, too scared to go home and be like, Grand, I'm sorry. 
no more yeah. videos. <laughs> it didn't happen because unfortunately what happened was um, it was like, you know, future was going through a really big change and yeah. a lot of people were losing their jobs and things. And it was like one of those really funny things where like, loads of people I knew were losing their jobs, like absolutely loads. And just like every time someone was called to a meeting, you're like, fuck, like, oh, they're shit. going. It's like, it's, it's like, you know, a really bad TV show or movie where, you know, people are being called in one by one. And I got called in and I, I, they were like, oh, don't panic. Like your job is safe. And I was like, oh, sweet. Okay, awesome. It's like, but you will have to move to Bath and uh, re-interview for the job. And I was like, that is like the opposite of safe. <laughs> <laughs> That's like going for a new job. <laughs> I was like, that's not it. That's not safe. So basically in all of that then, um, uh, like, you know, I was looking for other jobs and stuff like that. But that was in the middle of Game of Grants. So I, I kind of said to my nana, I was like, oh, you know, we, we, I did, did, basically I didn't say anything. I'd that's so, it, Nan. You know, we fucked it. We fucked it uh, right yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> at, any, at any point. Like I get, I get tweets about it every single week going, when's your nan coming back? When can we expect more of your nan? And I've, I've kind of sort of thought about another idea to do with her that I think is good, but we'll have to see anyway. Cause that's the thing Like you never want to, I'd never want to feel like that I was doing it. Like it was, it was good and it was a funny idea, but I never want to go back to it and feel like it's any way like cheap or anything. Be like, Hey, remember when you like this like yeah. sort of thing. So it's just kind of trying to think of it in a really funny way to do yeah. an approach it from a new angle. But she is the funniest person on camera. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd rather watch, even like, I hate watching my own videos and I hate listening to my own um, voice back, which yeah. is bonkers considering the job that I do. But I will watch those videos back now and again when I'm a bit sad and be like, oh, yeah, my nan is amazing. <laughs> I think the one thing I found so funny was how close your nan sits to the camera. Like she's oh, trying, yeah. to, trying to stare at the TV, get, <laughs> like, the, um, getting the as close as possible. The audio on them are really bad as well because basically I had to use this like technical thing for anyone's into cameras, but I had to use like a top mic for her because I had like, which really annoyed me because I had a clip mic, a proper interview mic for her. So the, the audio should have been amazing. Yeah. But so basically I'd clip it onto her blouse and I'd be like, okay, so what do you think about the graphics of this? And she would like pick up, she would grab the mic as if she was like a bouncer and she would talk into the mic like this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be like, what do you think of the, what do you think of the graphics? I think the graphics are good. <laughs> no, Nan, stop touching that. You don't have to touch it. It'll just pick up your pick up your voice. And she's like, okay, no worries. So what do you think about, uh, like, did you have fun playing this one? I had a lot. <laughs> I was like, give it here. I'm taking it off. <laughs> like, it was just like, it just completely changed the way that she was. Because I think a lot of the time, because the camera was like way behind the TV, she kind of forgot it was there. Whereas yeah. actually having a lapel mic on her she knew made it was there. her... Yeah, she yeah. kind of sort of thought it was on a little bit more. So she was trying to like do what I think I wanted her for the camera when actually I just wanted her to be herself because that was the funniest thing. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, moving on from like, I can't in- what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> moving on from like interviewing your nan about games, like now you're at IGN, you've sort of taken on more of a role that is a bit of a broad spectrum in terms of things like comics, movies, uh, especially IGN UK, you guys focus on heavily on like movies and comics and that kind of thing. Yeah. Now you're well, that's, like that's... interviewing everyone like Vin Diesel and that kind of thing. How do, how do you yeah, like, process that or get ready to interview someone who is like Randy Pitchford, who is a bit more of a normal guy, even though he's like the CEO yeah. of the company, he's a bit more of a gamer. And then you've got people like Sasha Baron Cohen or Mark Wahlberg or Vin Diesel. Like, how do you differentiate in terms of like preparation between those types? 
Well, I think like genuinely, I think the the thing that the reason I want to go to IGN is because I started working film a little bit, a total film. And I realized that you could do a lot of really funny stuff that lots of people watched if you did that. And I just love films as well. And it was just kind of hard not being able to work with those every day. Cause like, I always think that make whatever you are into in your personal life, yeah. your job, that should be everyone's goal. Yes. Um, I agree. So, but I, but I think the reason that I sort of get all these opportunities and stuff, I think the reason is that, I can only talk, this is probably good and bad, but I can only talk in one way. So it doesn't matter if I'm talking to like my nan, Randy Pitchford or Vin Diesel. <laughs> I, I only talk in one way. Like I don't know how to put on a voice. I don't know how to like go into presenter mode. Like I'm not, you know, I, I, some people are amazing at it, but I'm not like a T4 presenter or anything like that. Like, and it's, even people like YouTubers and stuff, like, I, like they, I, for some reason from the industry, they get a lot of flack. And, you know, there are some reasons for it, like ethical wise and shit like that, which yeah. I can't be asked to go into. But Paid you look at someone like that. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at someone like Ali A, if you talk to him, um, and another guy actually, uh, Dalek JD, Mr. J Dalek JD, if you talk to him, he's the quietest, most unassuming dude. You put a camera on him and he's like, Poof, and he's on and he's got this voice and he's just really brilliant. And the same with Ali A as well. You talk to him, he's a really quiet, really like nice dude. You put a camera on him and he's like a super confident like guy. I don't have that at all. I'm exactly the same if I've got a camera on me if I haven't. <laughs> And I'm exactly the same if I'm talking to my nan or talking to Vin Diesel. And I think, like, hopefully that comes across in videos. Like, I, I get super nervous before, like, massive interviews. I'm like, the, the, the Vin Diesel thing, which will probably be the coolest person I ever interview in my life, I think. Um, <laughs> I, it's, it's never going to get any better than that. But that was just a crazy week of just, like, back and forth with publicists, like... You know, like the Randy Pitchford thing that we did, like the magician thing, that was yeah. sorted out the night before when we went in and did it. Um, like that, and it was brilliant. Vin Diesel, I think we, I can't remember when I actually did it, but we started the prep for that about two months before. Um, uh, that's when well, we had, yeah, like, I guess you, I guess you probably then, could like, get Randy Pitchford within a day to do something. Yeah. But with Vin Diesel, I can yeah. imagine it takes a longer, a lot longer to. Uh, Get but then like, you start hearing all these different stories. Like, we read all different stories about him being like, you know, really difficult. And like we'd speak to people, oh, he'd only want this drink, this drink, this food, this food. And so we were like just – I was sorting all that out whilst also trying to like prep what I was going to do with him. He turned up, nicest person I've ever met. He was just amazing. And it's just like all that just falls away. And I think like people are paid to have jobs around him. And I think they need to justify their jobs. So they probably make it a lot harder than it actually is. Nice. Um, but. Yeah, it's like I don't really have any tips for how to talk to people, but just be be normal all the time. Be like if you can try and find the same voice to talk to everyone, it's pretty good. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, I had to go through six of Gav's publicists to even get this interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of answered my next question, which was like, what advice would you give like someone like me who is making like videos all the time and has a bit of yeah. history with like the gaming industry and that kind of thing and wants to sort of break into that video producer role yeah. like a companies like IGN and, and official Nintendo and that kind of thing. What kind of like advice would you give, I guess? But you kind of answered oh, it with uh, it's, it's passion. Because, and, like, yeah, but it's, it's, it's just really hard because like uh, I would, I think I've said before, like, you know, if you want to be making videos about, it's like I never know. Like, cause I'll, I'll put up a, if I put a video on my own channel, it was just me. About I reckon maybe two hundred people would watch it. But I I don't know if I've got it in me to keep up, or keep on going and putting in so much effort for just two hundred people watching. Like, I, <laughs> like 
speaking, I love speaking, the you're speaking to that core audience here. Yeah. yeah like, like that like, is definitely I'm, sounds a lot like my video kind of side of things. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard, like, because there's just so many people doing it at the moment. Like I was yeah. literally just watching um, uh, a guy called Simon Byron, who's a developer now, but like it was a journalist for ages and does one life left. I was just watching his son stream some game off his PS4. Like is five, I think, I don't even know how old his son is, but I was just watching that and it's like, this is a little kid doing it now. Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone yeah. is doing it. Everyone is making that stuff now. And you've just really got to make sure that yours is good or people want to watch it for some reason like don't churn out the same stuff like you know or if you're going to turn if you're going to be doing the same stuff as everyone else you better be a lot better than them and a lot funnier than them yes um it's it's, it's really hard i don't envy anyone of doing it at all but you know everyone's got the tools and stuff to be able to do something of their own now which is just which is amazing but i mean it also means that the market is just like absolutely flooded with people doing it like <laughs> i was watching i did a trailer thing the other day so the new um uh what trailer was it oh the new x-men trailer came out yes. we've got a series on ijet called like rewind theater where we like you know watch the trailer through and absolutely pick it apart for like little mm. easter eggs and secrets and things yeah. like that like and that's been going for that's been going for a while and those tend to do all right um, which, cause obviously everyone wants to know like secrets and stuff like that. But then yeah. I was like, so I was just watching ours on YouTube just to like look at the comments and stuff. And cause I replied to a lot of comments. Like, I think that's, I think that's definitely part of our job because a lot of people like say, Oh yeah, never look at comments and stuff. And I, I know that it's hard, but yeah. if I find that a lot of the time, if you go in and there's like, you know, you can see like mean comments and stuff happening you can diffuse it so easily with a little bit of kindness, like absolutely kill them with kindness. Like, it's all you have it, to I, do, isn't that, it? Like, absolutely, yeah. Um, but I, I'd seen all this. So I was doing this basically for a video that I'd done. And in the side was just like um, X-Men uh, Apocalypse trailer reaction. And I w looked at it and it's just some guy in his bedroom, like literally just screaming, like reacting to it. And I was like, and no one was, no one watched it. So obviously they, this is a thing that people, the kids do, or so, you know, some yeah. big YouTubers do where they, re, they react to trailers. And some people are good at doing that. This guy was just like going, just screaming and stuff. And I looked at how many people were watching it. It was about 80 people. And I was like, yeah, people are sick of that. Like you're not adding anything. You're not adding anything of any value to it. You're just shouting <laughs> on top of it. Holy shit. Like, look, look, exactly it's Poe Dameron like, is a bad guy. <laughs> and I just, I just think like that, you know, there are some people who who like who make a video or something and i go oh i'm gonna watch that because i know they're gonna be adding something of some value to it yeah um like the you know the, the guys on cool ghost like uh like matt lee's and um, yes. quentin smith like super smart guys when it comes to talking about games like i don't necessarily agree with a lot of their views or anything like that but i know that at least they're gonna have yeah. a, a view that matt might and, be slightly different from everyone else matt and quinn's um, are just two of the most eloquently spoken people yeah about video games and uh you know even the shut up and sit down stuff it's just shut up and sit down stuff is in its own league i think like yes. quinn's um like, i was a fan of it before matt came on like like just quinn's and paul like the way that they talk about things is just brilliant like if you you should watch the the subterfuge diaries that they did yes um it's like game of thrones for yeah, they, i mean it's a really really interesting series anyway yeah. just to see like a bunch of people like who I know really well, sort of their friendships fall apart. <laughs> I was so close to being in, to, I, I really wanted to play that game as well, but I was away for that entire weekend <gasps> that they were going to be playing. So there's no uh... way I could have done it. And I get messages from Brat all the time. Um, Chris Pratt is saying, I'm so fucking glad you weren't playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone who really hasn't funny. seen that series, it's on Cool Ghosts and yeah. uh, it's fronted by Matt Lees. And 
It's yeah. basically Game of Thrones video games where all these lovely people who all love each other very much fall apart <laughs> as the weekend progresses over this game called Substifuge for the iPhone yeah. and iPad. Yes, it's, it's 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 really really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So. I guess now we're going to move on to what you're actually here to talk about today, which is the eight games yeah. you've chosen for you, for the deserted place that you are now trapped in. No more talking to Vin right. Diesel here. You are forever alone. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to listen to some music from your first game, which is an absolute belter, in my opinion. One of the best games of the GameCube PS2 generation. So let's listen to some music and get straight into it. Okay, Gav, so the first game on your list today was developed by Capcom and directed by famous Japanese game designer Shinji Mikami and originally released for the GameCube in January of 2005, with it later seeing releases for the PlayStation 2, the Wii, and even a HD re-release for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. It received incredible critical acclaim and is regarded as one of the best action games of all time, where players take on the role of the former Raccoon City police officer Leon S. Kennedy. It is Resident Evil 4. Gav, tell me why Resident Evil 4 is on your list. It's, I just think, for me, like Resident Evil has never been able to touch that, ever. Like, I love the Resident Evil games up until that point. Like, I kind of liked 5 and then just dropped off um, after 5, really. Yeah. But I just for, for me, like, 4, just the story was just brilliant. It was, like, you know, the right mix of, you know, a lot of people criticize it because there's a lot of action and stuff involved in it. And there is, but at the same time, like, it's just so weird and suspenseful and really scary as well. Like there's so many weird things going on in that. Just from the beginning when, you know, you walk into that, oh man, I can remember now, like when you walk into that little village and just the creepiest thing is everyone is going about their just normal stuff. Yes. So, I mean, normal stuff is like burning people and stuff, but like <laughs> you see a guy just like with like a wheelbarrow full of stuff and like people sort of cooking and like tending to different parts of their house and stuff like that. And then as soon as they spot you, they all turn on you and, you know, they're all infected wherever they're infected. I can't even remember what it is now. But they the sort of come towards you. And thing and they sort that's of right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just like that entire conspiracy thing was just like, it was It was really sort of hard to unpack. But yeah, and then obviously the doctor in the uh, potato sack with the chainsaw. Just yes. I remember there's so many, but like so many nightmares about him because I think one of the, one of the, like not the first time you see him, but like one of the first time you see him before he sees you, is you come out this little shack and you can, I could just see this sort of like movement. So I had a sniper rifle and just sort of zoomed in and you can just see him just like really heavy breathing. And he's basically leather, leather face from yes. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Essentially. Um, and you, but you could, you could zoom in and just see his eye and you could see his breath in the air. And it's just like, 
I don't, I know this is the way I've got to go. And I know my, my sniper rifle is just going to anger him at the moment. And it's just like, <laughs> I think there was one point where I was like, I can't, I can't even bring myself to do this right now. Like, I'm just going to have to switch it off and come back to it because I'd seen him and I was like, I knew what this was going to entail the next sort of like 10 minutes of just like trying to run away from him and stuff like that. And it's yes. just like, I haven't had that since with a Resident Evil game, really. Um, and which the is horrible, annoying, but like, they, the horrible animation when he catches you and just like basically chops off yeah. his head with the chainsaw. Yeah, it's brutal, absolutely brutal. But that was like a game that I had, I, I played through on GameCube and then uh, my sister bought me uh, a Wii just before I moved to London. So... I was working like maybe like two or three days a week at this wine shop, <laughs> like not making any money at all. No, didn't have enough money to go out really to do anything. So I just stayed in and played Resi. Oh, she bought me a Wii with Resident Evil 4 um, and Scarface. <laughs> Scarface. Which <laughs> is like this horrible like uh, GTA clone that was just shit. Oh, I was so bad. And it was like borderline unplayable on the Wii like you play Resident Evil 4 which like I still think is one of the best uses of like the Wiimote and Nunchuck ever you play that and it was like so perfectly made and then you go to like Scarface which is obviously just a port they just whacked on the controls for the Wii and you'd be like it just didn't work I was like what's going on with this why isn't it working but yeah Resident Evil 4 like I even I just played like even uh, the mercenary mode just like constantly and just getting better at it and like I think I even did that old thing where like I wanted to start completely clean. So I think I deleted my, like all my save data for it and then went back and started from scratch and things like that. Just yeah, because once, once you finish the game, do. you could have like the Chicago typewriter and all these crazy yeah, weapons yeah, that yeah. make the game incredibly easy. Yeah. Um, so I think I even just deleted all that and went straight back. <laughs> so had you not played Which the is, game? Which dark times. Yeah. So had you not played the game on its original release for like the GameCube yeah, or the PlayStation 2? Yeah, I played it all the way. I played it through on GameCube. Um, so, but it was just that kind of thing again, where I just wanted to play it so much and ah. just see what it was like. Even though I had my GameCube set up right next door to my Wii, but I, I do think like the way that they used the Wiimote and Nunchuck is just some of the best stuff that that console ever had. And it was like right at the beginning as well, which is mental. It's it's one of my favorite games of all time as well, and it's the game I think I've completed the most ever. Like I, yeah. I struggle to go back and complete games often. Once I've gone through a game, especially like a single player game, it's kind of hard for me to be like, oh, why do I want to play this again when I could like play a new game instead? But I remember when Resident Evil 4 came out, as soon as I finished it, I played it again and again and again yeah. and just constantly for, I think it was like a, a whole summer when I was off school with my brother, just yeah. playing through like doing different things every time because i remember we had like a, a competition to, to see who could finish it the fastest and there yeah. was like almost like a cheat run where you could use the tmp gun to just okay, shoot yeah. at the knees of all the enemies shoot the knees of the enemies run up to them then kick them one hit kill yeah on like scissor kicking their heads off and that kind of thing and even with <laughs> the bosses like with krauser when you got to the krauser level you face him on the roof you could just shoot at his knees constantly and he just wouldn't come near you and you could just keep shooting and hitting and shooting and hitting. Yeah. So we had like these, I thought it was like the only time I've ever tried speed running a game, but mm. just basically running through the game as fast as we possibly could and trying to get us the fastest time. I think I nailed it down to like one hour and 45 minutes at one time. Just yeah, it's bonkers. Those, it. those games are 
Those games are really strange like that because like Resi 1 was the same. Like I, the first time I played Resi 1 was on my friend's PlayStation and like after school and he didn't have a memory card for his PlayStation. Uh, so yes. every single, like, because this is like, you know, memory cards are like a new thing and trying to explain to his parents why he needed a memory card when they yes. already bought the entire console. I have an exact like, same story for like, like Wind Waker. Yeah, and it's just like, oh man, that's horrible. But like yeah. every single every single day, we would just start Resi from scratch again. <laughs> so I know that game. Like uh, we, we used to draw out the maps and stuff like that. Mm. Like I could I could pretty much draw you out the mansion. I think even now, <laughs> which is bonkers. It's just one of those games, isn't it? That once you know where all the puzzles are and where all the items are, it's like you can breeze through it. And especially in Resident Evil yeah. Four, where you could. Uh, do like the one hit kills with like knocking their heads off with your legs and that kind of stuff. It was so much more efficient to kill them that way. It just, it became so easy to run through it, but it was always fun. It was always good to just fucking knock loads of heads off and carry on running. And (laughs) it was really good. It's an amazing, it's an amazing game. Like I really hope at some point Capcom do something just do that. Just do Resident Evil 4.5 or something like just where, what happens straight afterwards or something like that. Cause it was just so good and then like resi 5 was <laughs> resi 5 was okay but like i hated playing like with two people i even yeah. p- I hated playing it when it was with somebody else as well like well, it's just not the same kind of thing stealing all your bullets and that kind of thing the yeah, yeah, it was not it was very just, smart at all was it it was, a, it was a really strange thing and then like six then i think i maybe played for about 20 minutes but i've heard like from some people who i actually know and trust that if you stick with six, you do actually get a little bit out of it. But I'm the camera kidding. was so bad for that game, though. It's so strange to have a game like Resident Evil 4 where they got the third-person camera so perfect. And then yeah. to go to Resident Evil 6 where the camera is just all over the place. It's like below where their knees are and it's aiming towards the sky <laughs> all the time. It's just super weird. Yeah, Really strange to go from that. Resident Evil 4 to Resident Evil 6. I don't know what, yeah. like, <laughs> dissipated during the development of those games. I know, it's weird. But even but Resident Evil 4 had, like, four versions of it made before the final version. I don't know if you know yeah. this. So there was, like... Yeah, I read a really amazing thing about it, actually, that I saw someone link to on Twitter, which was just incredible. Yeah, because one of them was directed by Hideki Kamiya um, mm. and featured the main character was going to be a guy called Dante. And then that, version, I think that's the thing I read. Yeah. Yeah. That version then went on to be devil may cry. So, yeah. <laughs> so we have Resident Evil four to thank not only for how good that game is, but also devil may cry, which is also an awesome game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So that's such a good start to this list. Cause Resident Evil four is just one of those games that I'll, I'll personally remember forever as well. Mm. What a a good game. (laughs) Do you reckon, though, you would get a little bit bored replaying it time and time again on the island? Um, No, because you've got mercenary mode as well. Like, I I think doing the same thing where you go through, then delete the save game and go keep on going back to it i don't know like because you can do those games in different ways and you can challenge us challenge yourself to do it you know in certain ways as well like i was watching one guy someone sent me a a link to a stream that some guy had been doing of dark souls where he finished the game without taking a single hit yes like yeah just do that like with any game you could do that on a desert island just i don't think i would i'm good enough to do it but yeah so just challenge yourself to like Challenge yourself to do different things every time, like not get hit yeah, exactly. or maybe use only a pistol or that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Wow. That's a good start. And we're going to move on to another cracking action game as well. 
Um, so let's listen to some music. Gav, so before we move on to your next game, which is an awesome game as well, very different to Resident Evil 4, but kind of the same kind of action-based game, we have the deserted place question, which is like a part of the show where you choose the deserted place you are stuck in. So it has to be from video games, so you have to really oh, think about it. Like, So we had like okay. Keith Stewart from The Guardian last week, and he chose the island from Proteus. Okay. Very peaceful, very quiet, nice and lovely. So, like, if you were stuck in anywhere from gaming, hopefully not the town from Resident Evil 4, because that would be very bad for you. But, like, what instantly yeah. comes to your mind when you think about, like, deserted, lovely places in video games? Um, does it count? Does, like, Beaver Pinata count? Like, because it's just animals, really. They're, well, they're not really animals, are they? They're just Pinata animals, but... Does that count as deserted? Because if so, I'll take that. Because that's nice. I guess. I guess so. There's no humans about the. Yeah. But wouldn't you be like tempted to almost crack open the pinatas and then they might turn on you? Nah, I'm not doing that. I've got my games to be getting on with. I'm not going to be doing pinata stuff as well, unless I get really bored of like trying to speedrun Resi Four that I need <laughs> to crack open a panda no i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so what, what it, do you know what the place is called in viva pinata what is the world do you know on my hand actually no i don't know if i do if is it just called viva pinata what is the world in viva pinata <laughs> i have no idea i i did not like viva pinata so i would didn't not, you i did not i didn't like it looks gorgeous and it was a good demonstration for how powerful the xbox 360 was at the time but yeah. the gameplay just it grated on me a little bit it was a bit like oh. a bit like um, Harvest Moon, but not as good in my opinion. But it looked I lovely, just... so I can see where you're coming from in that in that regard. Yeah, I don't know if it is. I think maybe it's just called Viva Pinata. I'm sure <laughs> someone someone will, will correct us if it's not. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it has a name. I'm not sure. <laughs> so not so in you, my world, it doesn't. Not in your world. It's just Viva Pinata. I am stuck in Viva Pinata. <laughs> maybe you've, in your case, you've been sucked into the TV into the Viva while you were playing Viva Pinata. So you have no idea what it's called, and none of the animals can talk to you in English yeah. anyway. So. <laughs> so we're going to move on to your next game which is a game developed by Dennington Games and designed by oh god I hope I get the names right uh, Jonathan Soderstrom and Dennis Vedlin it's the top down Twitch action shooter that was released for PC originally in October of 2012 
with ports for the PlayStation Vita, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation 4 coming later. It takes place in Miami in 1989, and the player takes control of two characters called Jacket and Biker. It's Hotline Miami. Gav, please tell me why Hotline Miami is on your list. I think just the reason I love it so much, and I've played it through so many times, is it's like there hasn't been a game in the last few years that's come out which has like a tone has created like a tone and atmosphere and a world that I've just got completely lost in. And Hotline Miami is like a top-down shooter. It has, like it has no business having that kind of impact on anybody if you look at it. Like the game is all right, but I just think like everything together, the look, the music, uh, the music is such a big part of it as well. Yeah, why the, I love the that soundtrack as well. is absolutely incredible. It's it's amazing. Now, like I've just they've just launched. Well, they think they've just successfully done a Kickstarter um, for it, which I like plowed something daft into of my own money. It's just like, <laughs> yep, I want to get the vinyl. I want to get the vinyl for that. Like it's amazing. Um, but I just it hasn't been a game that's grabbed me like that way. I've just been like so unsure of what's going on. Like it's, it feels like there's so much more to that world than there actually is. Like. I need to really give Hotline Miami 2 a better chance, I think, of going back to it. But it was never going to live up to it for me because I loved the first one just so much. And I played it through on so many different things. It was like, I think we first heard about it at um, the Eurogamer Expo, which is now EGX. But I hadn't hadn't really been to that thing because I I don't really like the expos and stuff anyway because they're just so loud and just i don't know brash and stuff like that but egx is completely different is there's so much cool stuff going on it's almost like edinburgh fringe but games version of it but i didn't know this at the time um so people were like oh yeah you should definitely come down and like play this game hotline miami i was getting texts all weekend from like three or four different people going you need to come down and play this game man you need to come down and play this game so i went down and played it and i was like this is amazing what is this, <laughs> what is this game i need it um and yeah absolutely hooked ever since and i played it through uh, i don't even know on how many different versions of it like the one i just main all the time is my vita version it might as well be called the hotline miami machine the vita because i'm just constantly playing it and like people who i know on um who have added me on like psn are just like you're always playing Hotline Miami. Like, <laughs> every time I go on there, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning or like 4 o'clock in the morning. It's always like, come rock up, it's online. Playing Hotline Miami. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about that game, but it's completely got its hooks in me. And like, it, you know, everything I think that Devolver Digital put out, like they are the coolest publishing house in the world like i love them so much even when like you know maybe i don't like their games so much i just love their approach to video games it's just so cool and yeah they are annoyingly cool like i've met like the guys who made hotline miami like had to really sort of contain myself um i met them out in like at e3 devolver do this amazing thing where rather than be part of the actual show floor e3 which is a fucking toilet um they (laughs) they they hire a car park in, which is next door to a Hooters and they fill it with these amazing air conditioned sort of uh, big silver trailers like Airstream trailers and yeah. each one of those will have a Devolver game in it and outside there's barbecue going on all day uh, like amazing beer like and a ridiculous DJ and people just like rollerblading around and stuff like that and it's just like you walk in and you're just like this is what I like about games just like 
people, and you go up to people and be like, oh, what's, what's your game value? Like, yeah, come on in. Like, do you want to capture it? Yeah. Do you, actually, do you want to build of it? Here's a build of the game on a USB stick. Like, <laughs> and then, like, oh, shit, I don't think I meant to give you that. But oh, you've got it now anyway. So, like, <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the cool stuff about games. But then, you know, you go into, like, the big E3 arena, and it's just like, even though, you know, lots of people are pulling out in this year, but you've just got this, like, boom, just explosions and just, like, loud music and lights and stuff like that. And I walk in, and I'm, you know, I'm a big guy, so I walk in, and I'm instantly sweaty. And yeah. it's just like, you know, go back out to the Devolver thing, maybe play a game you will never, ever see again, but you'll have the best time playing it for 20 minutes. Like, it's fucking brilliant. That sounds that sounds awesome. So, like, what did you think of the gameplay of a Hotline Miami? Because you were talking about, you know, the visual representation, the world building, and the sort of soundtrack. How did you actually feel about the game side of things? It, like, it's one of the games where it has the biggest, like, curve of you start getting better at it, and then you think you're the master of it, but the game knows where at the exact points that you're starting to get cocky, and then it'll introduce a, a new version, a new way of moving, a new enemy or something, and then you'll be like, oh, you think you're really good at the game? Are oh, you fuck? <laughs> like, <laughs> and you're just like, I've mastered this. I was amazing. And then you've got to completely switch up your tactics. A weapon you might have been using from the start is no longer good. Like yeah. one of the masks or one of the like, you know, ways of playing is no longer good either. And you've got to completely switch it up. And it does that a lot throughout it all. Like I I switch masks up all the time. Like I I don't know that many people who use the same mask all the way through. So obviously the mask control, different things like, you know, if you kick through a door, you can I think so like if you kick through the door with a horse, they die. Uh, and stuff like yes. that because i guess if, if you were a horse kicking through a door then you would kill them and stuff like that that was one of um, my favorite masks actually because it was super yeah. handy to be like fuck i'm stuck really in a room handy. and you're waiting for people to walk past and you just kick the door open like bojack horseman yeah. and just like fucking murder them <laughs> so the good door. yeah and i just think it's just one of those games where you can be amazing at it and then tw- 30 seconds later you're shit at it again you're right back to the beginning you've got to rethink all of your tactics and i think it's like the other games i'm comparing hotline miami to someone like dark souls or bloodborne but they do in the exact same way as well where you think you know you're six hours in you think you've mastered it and then all of a sudden like a, a you know an enemy that you've been absolutely raging through is suddenly amazing and you can't go you can't get through them again it's like <laughs> i thought we were past this what is happening and hotline miami is very similar in that way like the end boss is one of the hardest things fucking ever it's really like some of the last few rooms as well like last few levels um are really hard really difficult yeah unfortunately with the second one they made the levels just a lot bigger so in hot in like a lot of the time if you get beat in hotline miami you get beat because of you you've been rubbish and that's fine. Yeah. I, I, if I'm if I'm rubbish at a game and I get beat because and I get killed because I've made a mistake, absolutely fine. But what happened in hot, to me in a lot of times in Hotline Miami too, and I'm not very good at games. But what happened to me a lot was I'd be, you know, I'd be clearing out a room and then someone who there's no way I could have ever seen will kill me, and I think that's bad. That's just bad, like game. Design. It did seem to like introduce a lot of like military, just for no reason at all, difficult story plot guys yeah. who flooded the room like you had like three different like army type dudes like one big guy who yeah. you couldn't kill instantly and then you try you'd like fire a gun at him and he would just like come chasing after you and yeah. instantly kill you be, and then yeah to be fair it's not a bad game though. the game's amazing <laughs> like i yeah. said that but it's basically it's, it's making you play in a different way and i didn't really like that because what i would then have to do is like 
oh, I'd be just like sweeping, I'd be like clear a room and then check every corner of the map and go, right, okay, go on. And it just slowed down how I was playing for me. And like, you know, part of the sort of awesome thing about Hotline Miami is like chaining all these different sort of attacks and going from room to room really yes. fast and sort of hearing things free, out. Like free flowing combat. That yeah. Makes you feel like not, an utter badass. Yeah, I wasn't really able to do that. Um, but to be fair, I've only played it on PC. And I think like a lot of people don't like the Vita version of Hotline Miami, but I think it's brilliant. Like the lock-on stuff is really good when you actually master it because you tap the lock-on, tap the screen. Um, so maybe it'll be better on that. I don't know. I should definitely give it a try though. Yeah. What did you feel about like the story of the second one? Because you said you liked the story of the first one and the second one seemed to like go full-blown three different like plot lines all happening and there was like flashbacks and all that kind of thing what did what did you yeah. think of the story of the second one i, I mean i really liked it. i really love that world and i think to explore any more of that world is just really really interesting um but yeah i think it was really simple in the first one yes yeah. and the, the good thing about it being simple was there were so many like ambiguous things you just kept thinking like what is going on in this place who is this person what's going on there what's the pizza dude you're doing all this different stuff whereas you know it's kind of like uh, a lot more in Hotline Miami 2 is kind of a little bit more obvious even though I have no idea what's going on I still love it <laughs> it just it just felt like it was doing a little bit too much or way more than I actually needed to do yes yeah because it felt in the first one there was all, uh, like an element of mystery to it like with the, especially yeah. with the pizza guy you just kept going there after every level and you're like what the, what the fuck am I doing like what is happening to me what are these phone calls and all that kind of thing or is yeah. there Sort of the second one, there was the flashbacks, which kind of made you feel like ah, disgruntled military dude, obvious thing. Right, okay. Yeah, it just felt a little weird to me. Although the gameplay was like consistently still good. Uh, as you said, the rooms got bigger. I feel like it got a little harder as well. Not yeah. much because Hotline Miami was already pretty difficult to begin with. Yeah. Nah, that's hard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a game as well that, especially on like your deserted Viva Piñata island, you could replay over and over again. It's definitely yeah, one of definitely. those type of games. It's just like, quickly flick on, get in, get killed, start again, get killed, start again, finish level. Yes, next level. Let's keep going. Yeah. And lots no, of that is really good. And especially with the masks, there's like so many different things to try. Yeah. And just, you could play through the game multiple times only using one mask, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I could try that, definitely. <laughs> well, now you have to pick up Hotline Miami 2 on your Vita, so Devolver yeah. Digital, thank me later. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're going to move on to your next game, which I have no idea about. Although, when I was researching about it and reading about it, I had some pretty interesting things <laughs> about it. So we're going to listen to some music from the next game, and then you're going to explain to me what the hell the game is. Okay.
All right, Gav, so the next game on your list was developed by Red Rat Software and published by Ocean Software. And it was created for a variety of consoles, including the Amiga, the Atari ST, the DOS, and the NES. And depending on which version you played, the game was sponsored by Quaver's Crisps. Yeah. And featured the mascot Colin Curley losing his packet of Quaver's down an (laughs) anthill. And then you play as an ant tasked with recovering all of the quavers it's a game called pushover gav what the (laughs) fuck is pushover (laughs) i i honestly think this like i don't know it might be one of the first games i ever played um and my auntie and my nan played it and they just got me into it and it's basically you're an ant (laughs) called gi ant and yeah, it was made by Quavers. So it was like, it was a lot around that time, like 1992, when lots of companies were making games like Cool Spot. Yeah, like, Cool Spot. Like the and 7 like, Up yeah. and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> and Pepsi and Man like, and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so it was really strange. But it was it was just basically, a, it's, a, it's a puzzle game, which you're an ant pushing big boulders over, which are dominoes. Um, but the dominoes had different, you have to basically push one and then, this, the last domino has to fall for the door to open for you to go on to the next level. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, you basically have an ant, you've got to pick up all these different blocks and basically complete the sequence so the last domino to fall is the last one to fall. Um, but then you, you have different uh, sort of blocks that can do different things. Like some of them can split in two and go off different ways. Some of them can fly up to the ceiling and move along the ceiling and things like that. Um, but I think it's just one of the first games I remember one playing and actually finishing as well and it goes on for so long it's like i think it's like a hundred levels yeah a lot of levels yeah it had like 110 levels in total yeah which is a lot of levels especially when you're just to be fair that is one very uh valuable quaver packet to have a hundred quavers in it yeah it's it's it was awesome it was such a good game and it just as puzzle stuff goes I don't know, like, you know, when you play a really good puzzle game and you actually work something out and you're like, ah, I worked something out, it's amazing. This, for me, when I was a little kid, maybe like six or seven or something like that, I was like, yeah. this is so good. Which version of uh, the game did you play then? Because the Super Nintendo version of the game didn't have the branding from Quavers. And yeah, you were no, it wasn't that one. I you were think collecting, it was like, the, money or something. Yeah, it was either the, I think it was either the DOS one or the Amiga one, I think. But yeah, it wasn't the stupid, it wasn't the SNES one. Um, it was, it was one definitely on some kind of shitty PC or Amiga or something like that. But <laughs> barely, barely worked. Um, but it's just such a, it's just such a good game. And like, I remember like that was one of the first, because like it was my auntie and my nan that got me into video games because they played loads of different stuff. Like, but like puzzle stuff like this, like Tetris and things like that. Um and I remember just like the three of us like huddled around this computer actually playing and taking in turns to do each level, but also doing it together as well, being like, oh, if you move that one there and do this. And I actually vividly remember us doing that, which is awesome because that's what you're going for. Like I just played through um, Firewatch with my girlfriend. Yeah. And like that was such an amazing experience because we both like finished that game. Like it, it was me controlling it, but like it was Talissa going, oh, yeah, go around here and do this. And yes. You know, I don't know. Those are the, always the best games for me. It's just like, uh, like at the moment, like everyone is playing the division, um, and I, I played it for a little bit. Like I got to like level ten or eleven or something like that. Yeah. But it's just like that game is so far removed from what I like about games. Like, 
I don't know, like Firewatch is just perfect because it's this cool little story and this cool little experience. You know, you're doing this different stuff. But then with Division, I'm just, I just don't know why I'm doing anything. And I feel like even though it's a good shooter and it's a really solid game and I do like playing with friends and things like that, I'd much rather be doing something, I don't know, that seemed like I was doing something a little bit more worthwhile, like helping Colin Quavers get all his Quavers back. Um, <laughs> with your nan. So yeah. actually speaking of your nan then, like it sounds like your nan actually got you into games. Yeah, definitely, man. But like, cause my, it was my auntie and my nan. How did your nan get into games in the first place? Because gaming back then was obviously nowhere near what it is today. And it was very rare for people to be able to afford games or consoles because they were very expensive at the yeah. time as well. Like, how did, Do you know how your nan got into games and your auntie? Yeah, man. It was, it was like Game Boy stuff. So my nan had a Game Boy. So she had like Super Mario Land, like Tetris and stuff like that. Like... She, I don't think she really knew what the games were or anything like that, but she just knew she's really good at puzzles. She's really good at um, like board games. She's really good at card games. Uh, and that is just perfect. Like she, you know, playing Tetris for, you know, an old woman, that was just perfect for her. She would just get up every day and play Tetris and things like that. And then, you know, that's how sort of pushover came then. If we go over to my auntie's house who had the whatever computer we were playing it on, we'd all just huddle around that. And it's just, I don't know, like if you can just tell the people who have the disease <laughs> that they like <laughs> games in their head do you know what i mean like yeah some people really you some people definitely have it but they don't explore it in the way that they definitely should like and some people really don't have it like like you can tell like like um daniel Cooper, who i work with he sent me this thing on uh facebook uh chat which was like a basketball game today and it's basically like a game you play on your phone but when you finish, it sends your score to him. And when he finishes, sends my... And so you're playing against each other. It's literally just hitting a ball into a basket. Um, but I was up playing it like all night last night. Like, just to try and beat his score, do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's really weird having this little disease in the back of your head that's just like, this is a game. This is you. We want to win this now. I don't know. And my, my auntie, my nan, 100% have that. Like my nan would play... Um, and my mum as well, like Beehive Bedlam on the Sky. Yes. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. We used to use the Sky It's like puzzle game. Yeah. Yeah. And like they wow. would just use that, just play that like all the time. I'm, like I go down in, in the middle of the night, like my mum would be playing like four in the morning and stuff like that. It's like you can tell the people that definitely have that thing in the back of their head that they just yeah. love playing games and like i don't know some people definitely have that because you see the amount of people playing like candy crush and stuff like yes. that like you just you kind of just want to say to those people oh you've got it you've got the bug like let me just show you this game instead like you will really really like it but people are like oh i don't play games like you no, no, do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no i just i just i'm on my phone i'm not playing games. i don't play video games you know this is my phone this is just something that comes with my phone it's hard isn't it it's really hard <laughs> to, to get people into it and be like you would really like this um and like I, I find it's actually getting way easier to do um, with video games but when it's something like I took an Oculus Rift home to my house uh, maybe about two years ago, something like that, and got like my nan, my mum and my niece and my sister, everyone playing it. And they were just like blown away by it. So I think it's getting a lot easier when something is that cool. We were playing a game called uh, Don't Let Go which I don't know if you played it. It's basically no. you put the Oculus Rift on, you put headphones on, and then you hold down uh, the left-hand side shift button and the right-hand side shift button. Yeah. And your hands, so your hands are stuck on the keyboard. And basically your objective is not to let go of the keyboard no matter what happens. And then, 
so you're sitting in when you put a, a thing on you're sitting in an office just an office like you've got a desk in front of you you might even have a computer in front of you actually you do yeah because like the developer comes on and he says hey i'm the developer this don't let go of the keyboard okay fine and then bees start coming and bees like the room fills with bees and like because you've got headphones on like the audio design is amazing so it feels like a, a bee is going inside your head oh um, no and then uh, after bees what is it there's a bunch of other stuff that happens then a velociraptor kicks open a door <laughs> and comes towards you and you can hear like a velociraptor like breathing in your ears and the idea is just like not to let go of this keyboard and i showed it to them and they were just like what is this when can, when can we buy it it's amazing it's so good so yeah games again it's getting easier to get people into games yeah like stuff like the wii and stuff like that but yeah exactly it's just it, that's what keeping, i was gonna say keeping those people playing mm. um which is really hard it kind of but yeah if i started with the game boy numbers. and tetris yeah. and then you know not that long ago the wii yeah kind of with Wii Sports, pushed all these people to be able to play together, you know, like me who plays a lot of games and then like my yeah. mum who doesn't play any games, you know, we could play like fucking bowling and golf and that kind of thing. And it's like, you're playing a video game. And they're like, oh, yeah. you know, this is actually pretty fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky that I grew up in a in a family that we didn't have the second part of that, which was like, oh, you're playing a video game. And then you go, oh, no, I'm not. I was like, you're playing a video game. And they're like, I absolutely know what I'm playing. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you telling me what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, coincidentally and quite amazingly, the next game we're going to move on to is the first game I have any memory of ever. Really? Yes. And in fact, it was also my grandmother my nan and my well my nine and tide which is grandmother and grandfather in welsh for anyone who doesn't know um who got me the this game and the console that came with it so let's listen to some music and then dive straight into it Okay, Gav, so the next game you've chosen on your list was developed and published by Virgin Games, and it was released for the Sega Mega Drive in May uh, May 1994, with ported versions for the Game Boy, Super Nintendo, and the Game Gear coming later. It's based on a comic book series where the technology to build RoboCop is then used in the creation of Skynet. Skynet then sends back seven Terminators to destroy mankind, and it's up to RoboCop to stop them. It's the first game I have any memory of playing ever. It's RoboCop versus Terminator. Gav. This is such a, yeah, it's such a good game. Like I can't like it, I think I basically begged my mum to buy this for me and like the I've got really bad 
sort of form of getting my mum to buy me games when I was a kid. Like I remember like absolutely begging her to get me Eternal Champions. And she was like, you sure you want this now? It's 45 quid. And like, you know, I definitely do go home when it was a pile of shit. But <laughs> this Robocop is amazing and like remains like one of my favorite games. Like if I started playing that now, I'd play it to the end because it's just so good. It's it's really coincidence that you say this in that we well it's a coincidence on one hand that the last game we spoke about was one of the first games you have in Ibimra. Um but mm. this is a game I spoke with uh with Simon Parkin like a okay. month ago and he didn't yeah. know what it was and I was like, God, did I dream of it in a fever dream? Is this game even real? And uh Rich Richard Stanton, one of the very good writers for The Guardian was actually tweeting mm. at me. He was like, oh, I was listening to the Simon Parkin episode. Robocop versus Terminator was an amazing game. I was like, yes, yeah. someone else who knows what this game is. And then when I was speaking to you this week and you gave me your list and I was like, Robocop yeah. versus Terminator, what is happening? <laughs> How does everyone all of a sudden, after like 20 years of trying to find people who've played this game and like two people yeah. coming at me telling me about this game? It's just it's just really good and like I loved Robocop and I loved Terminator as a kid. So like it was just the dream game for me. Like my like I went to I saw Terminator 2 in the cinema and there's absolutely no way that I should have been able to go see it. But it was obviously South Wales uh, in the nineties where yeah. maybe they didn't really care. I was yeah, I would yeah. have been like six years old yeah. when I saw Terminator 2 in the cinema. Um <laughs> my dad took my dad took me and for some reason the people giving out tickets in the Pontypridd Municipal Arts Centre uh, decided that it was all right for a six-year-old to watch Terminator 2. And I just I just loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, it was just awesome just to see everything that I knew from those films in the game. And again, like the soundtrack is incredible. And I've like, I recently met someone um, that I've been talking about doing some work with and her brother did the soundtrack for it, did what? all the music for it. I'm just like, wow. what? Like I was like, at some point you obviously need to introduce us a little bit um, <laughs> because I need to just meet him. And I actually had a dream that I was on a night bus with him that was so vivid. I had a dream that I was on a night bus with him and we started talking about the music and we started singing the music and we got chucked off a night bus. But that dream was so vivid. I told, I started telling it to someone recently. It might have been on another podcast or in real life. Like I do so many podcasts and just gob off into a microphone so much that I can't remember if it's real life or a podcast. But like I was talking to someone about it and I started telling them this story as if it was real. And I was like, oh, you never who guess who I met the other day? Who do you mean? Oh yeah, I met the guy who did the uh, soundtrack for Robocop vs. Timothy on a night bus. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. And uh, we started singing the music on, they were like, that doesn't sound real. And I was like, yeah, no, I don't think it is actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was like in my head i was like well that's a thing that definitely happened Fucking <laughs> so. it's amazing because i don't have too many memories of this game it's a game i've always sort of wondered in my head like whenever anyone asks you what's the first game you ever played immediately yeah. my head goes back to like the game the nintendo 64 and playing like goldeneye ocarina of time super mario 64 but they weren't the yeah. first games i ever played they're just the games that were the first games like i ever finished or the, yeah. the games that got me into gaming. But the actual first game I ever played, ever, that I have any memory of, was Robocop mm. vs. Terminator. And it's because my nan bought, like, a, she didn't buy a Mega Drive, but I think one of her friends who she played golf with, like, one of her sons was, like, going to college or something, and he he couldn't have it anymore or something. And they, right. and her, they didn't know what to do with it, so they were like, oh, maybe, like, 
Josie's grandson will like this or something. So my grandmother came over one day and she was like, oh, I've got this for you. And I'd not played games ever before. I was yeah. like four years old and I was like, okay, like got my dad to plug it all in. And, and then it yeah. was like, first game we put in, 18 rated RoboCop versus Terminator voted bloodiest <laughs> game for the Mega Drive. <laughs> Stuck it's, it's in. Awesome. Like, yeah. It's I mean it's basically um it's kind of like a platformer but it's it's essentially like a like side scrolling shooter as well. Yeah. Cuz yeah. it works in the exact same way as like power-ups like you have like bosses that have certain um ways that they move and they have certain patterns and things like that. Like the last boss is uh, the last boss is terrible as well. There's some really good bosses in that game. The last mm. one is rubbish because it's basically just like a giant, uh, like Skynet robot head, and it's shooting out stuff in a pattern that's like a side-scrolling shoot, um, shooter, which is not very good. But then, like one of the other bosses is Ed Two Hundred Nine. I remember just like you know being Robocop and taking down Ed Two Hundred Nine. It's like this is the film. This is exactly the film. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing because um, it, it got like what I remember of it. it it's like you got better weapons as Terminator, uh, as Robocop. So, like, Robocop's, like, traditional, like, gun was really shit. And as you got, you got, like, a flamethrower and more guns and they just got better and better. But I remember if you died, yeah. like, I, if you were, like, halfway through the game and you were facing off yeah. against the Terminators, you had to start again with the, like, normal gun because you lost your power-ups. The rubbish pistol, yeah. Yeah, no, and it, yeah, would, it would take, like, 50 bullets to even like kill them and it was not an easy game you had to like dodge bullets all the time it's really nice, solid man yeah it's really hard yeah like but it's awesome when you kill ed 209 then you get to pick up ed 209's like massive gun yeah so you're like this little robocop with a giant ed 209 <laughs> cannon on your hand right? which is awesome uh, but it's, it's such a good game it's like really really good and the same as like i think like um another one is like x-men mutant apocalypse as well like all those types of games where it was like something that i recognized off telly or something but they were re- they were generally good games as well. I mm. think <laughs> I seem well, to remember Robocop like that. Well, Robocop vs Terminator was actually rated uh, reviewed really well on release, and but it didn't sell okay. very well, which is pretty crazy for uh, like a intellectual property game. Yeah, because there was loads. You know, you had all the Disney games, and you had lots and lots of you know film IPs that were being used. Yeah, and it, but it didn't sell very well. Um, but it reviewed really well. It got like five out of five from some That's magazines like, and stuff. If I was in a shop and I saw Robocop vs. Terminator on the thing, I, w- I wouldn't even care what it was. I would just buy it. Like, I don't even care. Like, what is this? Is it going on telly? Is it a video? Like, I don't care. It's going on. Like, <laughs> like one, of the, one of the games I generally almost made it onto this list um, was a game called Power Blade, which uh, was on the NES. And it's, uh, I'm just looking at it now because I just wanted to check that I was right. But it's one of the first games I played. And you're basically... Uh, you play Arnold Schwarzenegger, but not allowed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. But you look exactly like him, and he does in Terminator Two. Um, and just like the art is just him, but you've got a boomerang instead of a gun. Uh, it's just like they obviously have gone like, right? What do people like Terminator? Get him on the cover. <laughs> like, <laughs> so if I saw Robocop vs Terminator, I would buy that shit straight away. Yeah, well, it's weird because I don't know. Just it was based on like a comic book series. I've never read it. I don't know what it is, but. Obviously, it was one of those worlds collide things that happened yeah. in, the, in the 90s, and they just thought it was good enough to make a game out of it. It's a really yeah. strange story. But I was, because <laughs> I was talking about it with Richard Stanton on Twitter, I was like, yeah. I have to try and find like a ROM or something and try and play it on my PC just, yeah, to, just to see if it is any good <laughs> or what I remember of it. Because it's, I just, I don't think I played it for very long. 
after like initially getting it because then i got like sonic and streets of rage and that kind of thing um it's up there with those though like yeah it's such a good game well what, and again like the music in it is like this is this is one track it's just like it's, it's the kind of like like really dark like yeah. dance music yeah. like terminator terminator like it's so good oh, it, man, well i was watching videos of it the other day actually and i was like wow it looks really good the graphics yeah, does. are really good. Like Robocop looks amazing. His suit is like incredibly detailed and all that kind of thing. It looks really, really good. Just really fun level design as well. Like there's lots of scaffolding and ladders and stuff mm. like that. Even though like Robocop looks so shit when he jumps. Cause <laughs> he just, just like, jumps how in do you, a straight line, doesn't he? Like how awkward. do you make him jump? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> it's really bad. Oh, uh, well. That's incredibly coincidental. We've had like your first memory game and now mine, which is not a good 18 rated game that I should have been playing as a four year old. <laughs> should have been definitely playing Sonic instead or something a little yeah. bit more sweeter. <laughs> so we're going to move on to your next game, which is completely different from every game you've chosen so far. And I'm very interested as to why you've chosen the next game. So let's listen to some music. So before we move on to the next game, uh, we have yeah. the question of the week. Okay. But this week, I wanted to ask a question personally. Um, right. So I put out on Twitter asking for people for questions, but a lot of people came back with questions that were very similar to questions that have already been asked on the show. But I thought okay. of a question myself that I wanted to ask you that's about you personally in relation yeah. to this whole desert deserted viva pinata island thing and that was it okay like if you could carry on doing one of the two which is ign or regular features but you had to give up the other what would you choose because i'm a fan of both your ign work and your regular features work so i wondered what what would you choose to keep going like if you were able to do your ign work at the deserted island or your regular features work what would you choose that's so fucking hard um i was hoping it would be (laughs) i don't know man like i think the best thing about regular features is um is we started that from like scratch yeah like it's amazing it's amazing to make something 
the it's, it's amazing to do something and get paid for something that is a hundred percent you're doing like because i've only ever worked for companies i've never like i do i do like freelance and stuff i found now and again but yeah i've only ever worked you know for big companies like i worked for future then i worked for gamer network for a little bit and now i work for ign like the as i said before like I don't have the kind of following where I could go off and make a Patreon and or anything and actually be able to sustain myself, I don't think. Yeah. But I luckily I've got enough of a following that people will go, oh, we should get that guy and have come work for us. Like th- that's the kind of following that I've got, which is really, okay. really good. Yeah. But for, with regular features is the kind of thing where we you know, like it was basically the three other guys because um, it was a thing where we, we weren't allowed to do anything together. We, we wanted to do podcasts and, you know, Future couldn't, uh, God love them, couldn't work out how to monetize podcasts, which to me is still mental because every single podcast, every single US podcast I listen to is like brought to you by Audible, brought to you by this. Yeah. For some reason, like the salespeople at Future and other places I've worked as well just cannot work out in the UK how to make money from podcasts. And podcasts are my favorite thing. Like I think if a podcast is done well, like, you know, it can be like 99% invisible, I think, is, is one of the best things that I listen to all the time. Yeah. Like it's just... Ah, oh, untouchable how good it is but for some reason at future they just couldn't work out how to monetize them so obviously the bosses were like no we're not going to have you sit in a room and talk for an hour with your mates and pay you for it because we can't work out how to monetize that so for regular features for us to you know start doing this thing every week and build up an, a you know a cool little following that then when we actually started asking people because we have people as well like going can i can we just send you money People like paying for stuff that they like. It's Absolutely. really weird. Yeah. Um, so when we started, then when Log moved away and we were like, shit, we've actually got costs and stuff now. Um, <laughs> you know, when sort of, you know, in, in Britain, it's a really weird thing to ask for money, I think. It always feels really sort of awkward. And it stuff, does. And we're really bad at it. Yeah. We're really bad at it. But luckily, uh, Matt is really good at stuff like that. And he recognizes that actually there's this thing there. And he's, re- he's a really smart dude. So, you know, we sort of all sat down and we decided to do this Patreon. And people loved it. And then we started doing live shows and people came. And now we do like a regular live show because, you know, and we built up this amazing following of like 30, 40 people who come to every single show. Um, and they've made friends. Like, you know, we had a lot of people who would come up by themselves. They would come to a show, you know, with no friends, make friends there. And now those people are friends outside of the podcast who go and do other stuff together outside of the podcast. Like, that's amazing to me. And, you know, we've we've made that happen from doing these live shows and stuff. So I think just making something yourself and have it be, you know, moderately successful is pretty good. But then at the same time, like, I don't know, IGN is so much fun. Like, every day... I don't, I don't have that thing. I don't have Sunday fear or, you know, I, I'm not at the end of the Christmas holidays sitting around going, oh, fuck, i got to go back to work. And I realize that, you know, I'm in a, a massive major, um, minority when yeah. it comes to that because a lot of people hate what they do. Yes. Um, it's really hard. And I just, oh, man, I don't know how to pick between the two because they both – uh, they're both completely the most fun things in the world to do, but in really different ways. Fuck. I don't know. I don't know if I can choose one. <laughs> can I like chuck the two together at some instant? But then to be fair, oh no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is hard, man. I, I honestly, I don't think I can actually pick between the two. Okay. Why would well, I have to? If I can do one of them from the island, I can do both of them from the island. That's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah. So, but, but it's, I mean, they're, they're both, it's my they're island. Amazing. It's my island. Yeah. I control it. So. <laughs> 
Would you would you reckon would uh Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to add, like do you enjoy making videos more than you enjoy making podcasts or is it both basically the same thing? Um they're not that's the thing. They're not the same thing and I don't think they should ever be treated the same way. I think a lot of people of a lot of people fall into the trap of, you know, podcasts have to be this certain length and just people sitting around talking and stuff like that like when actually it's like some of the best podcasts you listen to they're so heavily edited but they take a lot of time as well and i like really found this out like stupidly so quickly recently where um so i started doing a little bit of sort of um not freelance work but just work on a side for a company uh, for a website called ask men yes um, who uh, are owned by ziff davis who own ign so ask men sit in the same office as us and mm. they're like they're like a lifestyle magazine like it's actually unfortunately they're called ask men so people think that it's run that it would be just be full of men and it's going to be like fhm it's mostly written by women and it's a really good lifestyle website it, but unfortunately it's called ask men so i think that might put a lot of people off yeah but they do a lot of really cool features and they asked me if I wanted to do a body transformation thing for them. <laughs> so they basically every sort of couple of years or every year they do a thing where they take someone and try and transform their body over three months. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a big fat dude. I'll, I'll, I'll get a free gym membership and a free personal trainer for three months. Absolutely. Um, but I thought I'll, I'll, I'll record everything. I record audio of everything and make a podcast out of it. Yes. Um, and the podcast, the podcast are only like 10 minutes long, but editing them is so hard like i listen to the, the podcast i listen to stuff like 99 percent invisible um and things like that where they're really heavily edited because they have like a team of people doing it yeah uh if you like gimlet media do a really like a bunch of really good podcasts called like the startup podcast the first series of the startup podcast is brilliant that's the kind of stuff that i'd like to make which is like super personal a massive look into people's lives but it's a really interesting story as well it's a really good sort of like documenting yeah. something and that's what I've tried to do with this podcast I started called Jabba the Jedi, which is yes. about me trying to turn myself from looking like Jabba the Hutt into a Jedi. But <laughs> it's really hard to edit those things. Like it takes so much time. So that's the thing. Like when people think podcasts, they think, you know, essentially three white men in a room <laughs> talking about video games into a microphone, uh, which is a lot of, there's a lot of those things. There is definitely a lot of that. <laughs> um, there's, but, there's two guys yeah. right now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I can testify to that anyway, because it takes me, it usually takes me about three hours to edit this show. And exactly. It, and this is, and this is just people talking. <laughs> yes. It's like, just like putting music in, making sure there's no like fuzzy, yeah. horrible background noise that nobody wants to listen to and all that kind of yeah. thing. But it takes time. It but definitely takes time. Yes. But to, sorry, to answer your question, when it's like, what do I like doing more videos or podcasts? I don't know, like, I think with podcasts, you can, because it's just audio, you can, you really have a lot more control, whereas video, it's a lot harder to do. You can create, like, uh, you know, a world in audio much easier than you can uh, in video. And yeah. I think, you know, I try and record every single thing, like me walking down the street, me going into, the, um, into my trainer's house, me like, you know, actually working out and things like that. If I was to film that, to make it look good, would be exponentially harder. And to edit that and put it all together to put it out. I don't know, like people consume it in different ways as well. But I don't know. It's, I, 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 like doing, I like doing both things. If I can carry on doing both of those things forever, then I reckon that'd be pretty good. <laughs> well, fair enough. Well, I think it's about time we moved on to your next game then. Uh, okay. The next game is an incredibly different game from what you've chosen so far. It's developed by EA Tiberian and published by EA. It's released for the GameCube, what? PlayStation 2, and Xbox in January of 2004 and features a bit more of a street version of American football 
with seven on seven matches. Players can earn style points by completing style moves similar to those in FIFA Street, and it earned really yeah. good reviews and went on to have two sequels. It's NFL Street. It's so good. This is one of my favorite sports games ever. Um, it's so much fun. Like when I when I first started uni, I had uh, the original Xbox, and we had this on it, and we just played it to death because I love NFL. Like I've been a big NFL fan since uni. Um, a friend of mine got me into it, and. I tried playing like Madden and stuff, but I don't and I don't think I understand enough about NFL to be able to play Madden in a decent way. Yeah, like all but the NFL tactics Street, and that kind of thing. Yeah, like I, I kind of I understand what everything does, but I'm just not very good at it. Whereas NFL Street is more like an arcade game, and it's got you know this sort of way of like pick up football. You're playing on the street, hence the name NFL Street. But it's when you know EA were making these sort of more arcadey games of yeah. you know they're really sort Definitely. of uh, sim games, which and. NFL Street is just brilliant, like really, really good. And it's just really funny. Uh, it's amazing to play two on two. Like, um, but then also like playing against someone I think is way more fun than like a fighting game because you can do these like really, really weird uh, things like run up the walls. You can do all these different like tactic moves and things like that. Like it's so good. And like oddly, Exhibit is in, I think he might be in the first or the second one, but Exhibit is like <laughs> your main dude. Um, and this, the soundtrack is all like music like that, like with like MOP and stuff like that. It's just, it's such a fun game. Like it's just ridiculously fun to play. Did you ever play a game called, oh, um, oh I can't think of it. It was like a, it was a similar game to like NFL Street, but it, it was it was an NFL game made by like an independent company. It wasn't tied to like EA right. or anything, but you could like tackle people and it would have uh, almost like sniper elite x-ray models <laughs> of like their bones breaking and that kind of thing. Yes. I forget what it's called, but I played it in university and um, it was similar to like NFL Street. I've never actually played NFL Street, but I've watched videos of it. Uh, I played a lot Rick. of FIFA Street. So, which was like, you know, the English version of the yeah. American game. Um, and it's like, yeah, it is I almost like a like fighting I... game. Like you were talking about, you know, you have to put in like inputs and that kind of thing and to pull off the moves and you get like style points and that kind of thing. It's really yeah. fun. It's, it's really good. Like the, the street games well all right i like i really liked nfl street but like fifa street was okay i like i liked the sort of way that they made it but i actually like i ended up getting really pissed once um with a guy who he now works on assassin's creed um but at the time he this is such an amazing story if i can remember what the guy's name is like you should try and get him on this podcast because his story of how he got into the industry is so much better than mine because <laughs> he's actually <laughs> making games but he basically was like i met him yeah, I met him on Assassin's Creed Black Flag trip and again, like really pissed with him in some mountain in Italy, which is brilliant. Um, like me and him were just like stealing red wine from the uh, warehouse or like the uh, wine place. What's it? A wine cellar, yeah. Of this like giant castle that they put us up in or something like that. Like yeah. talk about ethics and games, man. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, like, uh, and I, had, I ended up really liking Assassin's Creed Black Flag as well. So maybe it works. I don't know. Uh, no, it does this is a good game but i am i ended up getting really pissed with him and i was like oh so you know what, what did you do before this and he was like oh I, I worked on fifa street and i was like oh i remember that did you ever work on nfl street he was like no i didn't i was like okay whatever tell me about fifa street then fuck's sake um and he said he basically his wife got a job in vancouver uh 
working as a teacher. He went to Vancouver with her, didn't have a job. And she was just like, oh, you know, they make FIFA here. You love FIFA. Like maybe like try and see if you can get a meeting or something. He went up to the, literally walked up to the building, was like, hey, um, I'm... I, I, I'm from London. Like I really like football. Could I have a meeting with one of your producers? They get had a, he had a, ended up blagging a meeting with a producer uh, for, and they gave him a job as a producer on FIFA Street. And they were like, "Oh, here's a here's a here's a video camera." He basically was tasked with going to like Brazil and France and going around like the favelas and just um, filming loads of people playing street football. And that was his role as a producer and coming back and like feeding it back. And this is the kind of game we want to make. And now he's like one of the main producers on the Assassin's Creed series. <laughs> like, yeah, what an amazing story that guy's got! Um, but yeah, he was, he was basically that's how they made like FIFA Street. So they kind of modeled it on all these different people who they were re they really would like modeled on like the kind of street games that would go on in real life. And that's, I kind of think that's why I liked it because it's this really exaggerated version of the sport, but it was a lot easier to play than the actual real one was. And it's just like really good customization stuff on there where you could, you know, make your own jerseys and things like that. It was like around the same time that I got into like Def Jam fight for NY, oh, which yes. almost made it onto this list as well. <laughs> Do you reckon there is even like, street versions of american football like people playing american football well, yeah that's exactly, that's exactly that's exactly how they did it they like they went around and they modeled it on these like street pickup games that people would play where you know they would play just like tag football and things like that ah. so they, they modeled it like that but yeah it's a good game such a good game i didn't even know there was a third one actually until you just said i was like well i need to obviously play that then don't i yeah because the street the street games as a whole series haven't really had That's anything now, done yeah. to them for many many years have they now yeah. it's getting quite old since the what was the last fifa street three i think or yeah nfl street i'm just looking now is 2007 they had chad otrusinko on the uh on the cover who's an amazing nfl guy so funny wow so they they are getting on now so they maybe need to maybe you need to rally the call you need to you yourself need to walk up to an ea office and be like where the fuck's my nfl street guys yeah come on <laughs> I need this game. <laughs> That's amazing. So, talking about like FIFA Street and like, do you like football as well, like English football? And did you play FIFA Street? And how did that compare to like NFL Street? Uh, I don't think I did. I played a little tiny bit of FIFA Street, but a game that almost made it on here, just because the amount that I played it and the amount, the fond memories I've got for it is um, FIFA Road to World Cup '98, which had. I, I think one of the things they based all the street games on, which was the five-a-side mode. Um, in oh, where you World could, Cup like, bounce it against the walls and stuff like that. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And that's what it was. I think it was, yeah. And it had this um, just this amazing mode. I had it on PC because that's what I played it on. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just really, really fun. And I think that was the the time that they realized, oh, actually, people really like this mode. Like, we should start looking into what it actually is about those games that people like. Is it the realism or is it actually just, like, fun being able to play stuff, basically? Because, <laughs> like, that's the thing that... That's what's happened with FIFA. It's like, it's, the, it's just gone more and more realistic and more and more complex. And I stopped playing them, like, two years ago, something like that, because I was just like, I don't find it very funny anymore. It just does that classic thing where if you don't... If you're not playing it from the start as soon as it comes out, give it two weeks and you that you can't play that game against anyone because anyone who's been playing it from the start is going to be so much better than you that it's just not worth doing. It's like, well, there's oh, an incredible that. amount of games like that these days, isn't there? Really? Yeah. You've got all the fighting games, you've got all the MOBAs, all the sports yeah. games. They're so complex now and require like an incredible amount of inputs that, yeah. as you said, well, you, like, you kind of get lost 
after like two weeks of not playing. Yeah, it was well, like I, you mentioned at the start of this podcast, but like so recently I interviewed Sasha Baron Cohen for his new film. Yeah. And a big thing with that was like he was like a football hooligan. So I was like, well, Wales are playing England in the Euros in uh, summer. I'll yes. put a Wales top on. He'll be wearing an English top. Let's play against each other. And it was just so hard to do because he <laughs> basically, it was sold to us as, yeah, he's well at the FIFA. I turned up. He was like, never play FIFA. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> and it makes you it makes you worse as well when you're playing against someone who doesn't know how to play the game because you can't play against someone who doesn't know how to play that whereas it shouldn't be like that it should just be fun and someone who doesn't know how to play it should be able to pick it up and at least try and have a go whereas it was just like it was almost impossible for him to do which i don't know if that's because he was shit or because the game is just not designed for people to pick up and play i guess yeah, it it did come across our, in that video that yeah. he was awful. <laughs> yeah, he, but he, so did I. I look, I'm terrible in it as well. Like, I don't know how he scored his goal against me. Like, <laughs> it's just, I don't know what I was doing. But then it was kind of a weird situation. So probably that's why. I'm blaming that why, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to move on to your next game now, um, which is a series that has a new game coming out next month. So yeah, it's going to be good talking about this game. So let's listen to some music and then go straight into it. So, Gav, the next game on your list it was developed mm-hmm. by Crash Bandicoot creators Naughty Dog and published by Sony, directed by Bruce Straley and designed by The Last of Us director Neil Druckmann. It was released for the PlayStation 3 in October of 2009, with a HD port for the PlayStation 4 being released last year as part of the Nathan Drake collection. It's Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. So good, this game. Like, I love the Uncharted series anyway. I think they are, uh, like, up there with some of the just funniest, stupidest action adventure games. But I think I think like the scripts for most of Naughty Dog stuff is just really, really good. But Uncharted 2, it was just I love the story for it. Like I, I'm not like I bang those games down to easy and play them through on that because I don't care about running behind something and getting a shotgun and killing people. Like the actual shooting stuff in Uncharted 2 isn't that fun, I don't no. find. Most of the um, enemies but, are like bullet sponges anyway and they require an incredible yeah. amount of bullets to kill them, which has always pissed me off about those games. Yeah. And I, I just like, I don't know, that wasn't that fun to me. But the story and the characters are brilliant. Like, it's so good. And that's what I play those games for. Like, I'm really looking forward to the fourth one. But I hope that they've kind of taken more cues from, like, Last of Us to be yeah. able to do, I think. I love Uncharted 2. It's one of the best games to the PlayStation 3. But yeah. I felt, I don't know why I think about this in Uncharted now, but now I'm kind of like, 
not that interested. Uncharted 3 wasn't that good, especially in comparison Mm. to 2, which was just an incredible game, both in like script and set pieces and how gorgeous it looked and how funny Nathan Drake is and all that kind of thing. And then Uncharted 3 was a bit, a bit boring and a bit, I really, I really liked it. I just like, I remember, I remember Uncharted 2 slightly more fondly, I think. Like, I think just the plot is a lot, I don't know, I think it's a lot better in number two, I think. And I think like, uh, Graham McTavish as Lazarovich is just really, really good. (laughs) So what did you like? Because at the time there was, I remember, I remember exactly what came out at the same time. Uh, I was going into game in Aberystwyth, I don't know. I don't know if game was there when you were in Aberystwyth, but yeah, it was. Yeah. I was going into game in Aberystwyth and two games came out that week. It was Uncharted 2 and Brutal Legend. And I was like, I only have enough money for one. This game is made by Tim Schafer. This game is made by the guys who made Crash Bandicoot. I had not played Uncharted 1. So I was like, ah, and then I was like reading reviews like IGN 10 out of 10, GameSpot 10 out of 10. I was like, okay, let's get this game. Played through it, busted through it in one weekend, and it was just one of the best experiences I've had on the PlayStation 3. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's just there's something about those games that's just really, really funny. And they're basically, you know, the Indiana Jones that we wish they would act, the Indiana Jones film that I wished Spielberg would actually make. I know they are about to make another Indiana Jones, yes. and I hope it's anywhere near as funny <laughs> uh, and as smart as this. I, it's probably not going to be. Um, but I, I, like, I've actually, you know, gone through times where, uh, cause I interviewed, um, uh, I know everyone, uh, interviews, oh man, I can't even Nolan think of his North. name. What's the dude? Nolan North. Yeah. yeah. Everyone interviews Nolan North when he comes to town, but I interviewed him recently. Um, or well, actually it wasn't even recently, it was like last year, but I was watching, I was just like going back through some of the cool stuff that I remember him doing in Uncharted and someone had done like one of those cuts where they put all the cut scenes together from Uncharted 2. Oh, okay, I was just yeah. watching it. I was watching it. I was watching it for ages. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just like researching this one tiny bit and then they were all coming, they were just coming on and going back to back. And I was like, this is really good. This is a really good film. <laughs> like take all those bits out of it. And it's like really good. Like, they're like, I did a similar thing with um, Max Payne 3, which I don't think many people like. I loved Max Payne 3. Like, I don't know why I liked it so much. I just loved the story and the setting. And I did the same thing again. I banged that down to easy, which like loads of people, me and Sean, like Neogaf hearing uh, a games journalist talk about banging a game down to easy to complete it. But I banged Max Payne 3 down to easy, played that through. And I was just like, this is such a good story. Like, I don't care about shooting people. I just want that. And, you know, that's kind of what I like doing in games. <laughs> so you said you're looking forward to Uncharted 4. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I think they'll end in a really smart way, hopefully, even though Amy Hennig's not involved. Because um, I think, like, she was really good. The, she was, like, I thought she was kind of the heart of, like, Uncharted 2. Yeah. Um, she's a really, really smart person as well. But to have her not involved is going to be interesting to see what happens, I think. Do you, did you like The Last of Us? I love The Last of Us. I thought it was really, really good. Um, I didn't, I didn't identify in the same way as everyone else did. Like, and I always find this because I, I kind of gave up on it and then went back to it because a lot of people were just a lot of people. A lot of people will say the same thing. If you look at Last of Us, like, oh, Last was so good, I cried so much. Just because you cried doesn't mean doesn't make it good. It's like, funny. I think that I don't like yeah. The Last of Us at all. So. Right. Okay. <laughs> I well, did. It's, it's good. I just, I just think it has. Like it has like three false endings, 
And it's like, oh, you think it's ending. And then the thing that you're, you've been trying to do is just such a really hackneyed old, like the Walking Dead TV show does it amazingly. Where it's just like, we need to get to here. Then you get to here and it's like, this place is fucked up. We need to get to here. And then like, it's just like, uh, you yes. do the same. It, last of Us does it like three times to the point <laughs> where when, he, when you finally get to the last place that you're trying to get to, you don't care anymore <laughs> because it's just like you're just expecting something to go wrong <laughs> and nothing does. And it's like, it's kind of like a good ending. But it's just, by that point, I just didn't care um, because I'd been kind of burned like twice before. Um, and I, th- I think that that's kind of a tiny bit lazy, I think. So you, you're okay I'm, with oh. Uncharted 4 being in control by Neil Druckmann? You reckon there's going to be more... Last of Us influence in Uncharted 4 yeah, or I hope, more Uncharted hopefully. influence? Like, that'd be really good because I really like Neil Druckmann. Um, I, I got to speak to him once. Uh, I'd really like to interview him, like, properly and do, like, a good, like, chat with him. But I got to speak to him once, but it was when I was, like, fucking around for CVG. And I actually... So I got to speak to him, but asked him what, his, what kind of dog was his favorite. <laughs> so it's, like, nothing to do <laughs> in true, In true Gav that. Murphy fashion. <laughs> Yeah, so unfortunately, I don't think I kind of made my mark on him uh, in that case. But I'd love to sit down and actually chat with him about something, even if it wasn't on camera, to be honest. Because, like, my video game interviews are not, <laughs> I don't think people really get, if someone really wants to hear, like, an in-depth conversation about, like, how a game was made and stuff like that, like, I, I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> like, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that. But I can sit down and fucking talk shit with someone about what dogs they like for an hour. That's fine. <laughs> So what about Uncharted 2, like, in terms of, like, set pieces? Because Uncharted 2 has so many set pieces. Like, you start out on the train and you fall through it. And then there's a lot of trains involved in that. And then you have, like, the truck that comes down the streets of that city and you're, like, running away. What, what, like, part sticks out for you in that game? I think the the street bit where you're kind of, like, running down the street and you're jumping onto different parts of the buildings and things like that is really good. But, yeah, that train bit, the opening, and the way that it, like, sort of swings back to that later on um, is just really, really smart. And it's just a bonkers set piece. But it's also, like, for the train bit is my favorite and one of my least has my favorite and one of my least favorite things in any video game that happens, like, soon after. So the train bit happens and it's you know incredibly intense like you're falling off and in true nathan drake's like everything he hands on to is obviously made of like foil so yes. he's like falling straight <laughs> off so you have this moment where you know he it's like you know the really rubbish script writing thing like the characters hit rock bottom like he doesn't know where his friends are he suspects somebody maybe dead all this different stuff you're walking along and then the game does one of the worst things I think video games does where it just goes, you know, it introduces all these amazing plot points and then it just goes, there's a little shiny thing and you go up and you find some bollocks little trinket treasure thing. It's just like, what? What is, who's getting anything good out of that? It's just like, you've built up this amazing plot and all this, and then you just go, you have, the game has to do this thing where to remind you you're playing a video game. Yeah, it's just gamifies like, why, why, something. Why did you do that? Like, oh, it's so frustrating. That's why I can't play Uncharted <laughs> 2 through again. Like, because I think the treasure thing, it does my head in. Absolutely does my head in. Like, I think, like, achievements and all that shite. Like, this is something that I just don't like in games. And Uncharted 2 has the like, the best bit of plot and the best bit of gameplay and a really cool little story. And then it just has to go, oh, but you remember you're playing a game? Oh, fuck off. Like, but... <laughs> I do love that game. <laughs> so you've not played the HD port then because that adds like more trophies to collect and it has yeah. a, a brutal difficulty 
which basically if Nathan Drake gets shot once, he dies. I don't care about that. Like I, w- I wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> like I, I think I've I think I've got that HG. Like, but to be fair, there's there's bits in a lot of the Uncharted games that I don't like. Yeah. Um, like I don't like the sort of supernatural elements. Um, and that's again they have to introduce that because they don't know how to end it without don't know how to end a game without it being some kind of boss or having a lot of things for you to be able to shoot and things like that yeah and i think that those are just unfortunately because it's such a big game it can't really go balls out and be like there is no end boss like there's no bosses or anything like that like yeah and, and the last of us does it in a really poor way as well where you know you you walk into a room and you'll see a bunch of stuff that you can collect and craft and then you walk you open a door and it's a giant gym, and you're like, oh, here we go. Boss fight then, is it? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I just think, why does it have to have that? Like, I don't know. I don't, I, yeah. I, Do I you know really what? don't. I really don't. Yeah, Do yeah. <laughs> One nitpick I've always had with the Uncharted games, and I don't know why, and it, I've, everyone I've ever spoke to about this, it doesn't annoy them in any way, but it's the white lines of the bullet marks. You know, like when someone fires a bullet in Uncharted, for some reason there's almost like every bullet has like a white smoke trail that follows it. Right. And in in that game, there are so many enemies firing bullets at you constantly. And Nathan Drake's like, you know, firing away an AK-47. And there's just so many lines of like white on the screen where all the bullets are coming from. Obviously, it's there to try and tell you where enemies are coming from because it doesn't do the yeah. like red flashy marks on the screen like old traditional games yeah. used to do. But there's just these white marks everywhere, and it, it drives me crazy when I play yeah. that game. I've never, I've never ever thought about that actually. I, I really don't like it because once everything just, once all the enemies start coming, like, is it Uncharted three or Uncharted two where you're on, like on a ship and yeah. you're stuck in like a room? like a theater almost and there's all these enemies on the balconies and they're firing at you it's like on like even normal difficulty it's a really difficult level to get through because you basically can't move anywhere because there's just enemies surrounding you in a 360 degree but there's just so many bullets firing at you that white lines just streaming across the screen it's so distracting (laughs) i don't know why but that's always annoys me about those games yeah, there's, there's an amazing bit in Uncharted 2, though, which is like, you, I don't even think it's actually that you don't actually do anything in it. Like you basically you find yourself in this tiny little like Tibetan village. Um, yes. And it's just these people going about their normal That's lives. That's my and it's just, like, a favorite really nice, part of that game. I really yeah, like It's like a really bit. nice moment of calm. You've got these like, little kids playing football and you can yeah. walk up and you can like kick the ball kick and the shit ball, like that. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just lovely. It's really nice. Little, it's little, nice little also moment. like incredibly beautiful. It's. Yeah, amazing! Like the mountains and the all the different colors of uh, all the like Tibetan reds and yellows and yeah, it's so stunning. And I just I find that to be the best part of the game when you get to that area. Definitely. Yeah. Then you have like a firefight on top of the roofs and stuff. But because of the way it's laid out, you can like almost yeah. see the entire village. It looks really cool. But the, yeah. that first bit when you first arrive and you're just walking through and seeing all the like NPCs and stuff. It looks really nice, really good. No, it does. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, that's the thing. I'm looking forward to the story actually ending because I thought the story was going to end in number... I thought, yeah, I thought it was going to end in number three, but obviously it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Well, we're going to move on to your second to last game now, your penultimate game, and we're going back in time a bit more towards the Sega era of video games. So let's listen yeah. to some music. 
Gav, the second to last game on your list is this side-scrolling beat-em-up sequel to Streets of Rage, developed by yeah. Sega and released for the Sega Mega Drive in January of 1993. Introduced two new protagonists who were awesomely named Max Thunder and Eddie yeah. Skate Hunter, who is the brother of Adam <laughs> Hunter from the first game. It reviewed extremely yeah. well and is thought of to be one of the best games for the Mega Drive. It's Streets of Rage 2. This was such a good game. Me and my sister played this so much. It's unbelievable. I'm not like when I had Switch of Rage 2, I hadn't played the first one either. Um, so I don't know. Important plot points have probably been missed out for me. But um, yeah, I just loved Axel was like the coolest person ever. And I wanted to be like him. Like I wore like a bandana around my neck and like shitty red gloves and stuff just so I could just be <laughs> cool like him. But unfortunately, I had like black hair when I was a little kid. So I never, ever looked like him. Um, but me and my sister just like played that from start to finish just constantly. And I was even like, I had like a little cool uh, like fight stick for the Mega Drive as well, which I used to play on. I think I was the absolute like Mac daddy, but we played it so, and like the sound, again, like I talk about music so much and music is such a big part for me of games, but me and my sister would go through the, like, you know, when you can go like to the sound menu and like go through all the library and stuff, we would listen to the um, songs and write lyrics to them <laughs> as kids <laughs> and we have we, like I wish at some point I'll be able to find those tapes because we had like a little recording box and we would put it right next door to the TV yeah play the, play the music through the TV then record it and then sing our lyrics over the top which is like a mix of like music like uh, <laughs> like just singing uh, like choir songs because we both grew up in Wales and rapping as well because <laughs> we both like Will Smith. So it's like, <laughs> I, I really hope at some point I can find those tapes because they would just be the most tragic things ever. Just these two little kids from South Wales singing these, I don't even know what kind of songs it was over the top of the Streets of Rage soundtrack. It's so good. <laughs> and like years later, um, Childish Gambino, he's, he's done one with one of the songs from Streets of Rage 2. Um, he like redid the entire song and redid the entire like I think it's like second level music and did a song over the top of it. It's so good as well. And I remember seeing it going, "That could have been me. I could have done that. I did that years ago." <laughs> um, but it's, you should it's send him those cool. tapes. You should try and get hold of him. I need, I really need to find them definitely. Uh, but I just I love this entire thing of like you know there's no there's a little bit of story to it, but it's just you against Mister X and his organization sort of thing. But just. Uh, just all the different bosses and then it does a really which now would be rubbish but it does a really mental thing where introduced introduced you to a boss and then the next level to make make you know that it's harder you've got to fight two of those bosses before you get to the next boss <laughs> and it's just like when you think about it that's quite lazy <laughs> but it's a good way of like lasting it out um but i just like like the idea then that you know they could not many people were looking at video games so they could just rob stuff and it is basically the warriors like they rob so many of the like different gangs from the movie the warriors and just whack them all into this thing be like baseball furies yeah we'll have them we'll have, we'll have those guys in. it's just like <laughs> how are you allowed to do this it's like the wild west of like copyright <laughs> i like my memory of streets of rage is pretty poor and I think I remember playing it in an arcade somewhere, but I just remember it being like incredibly fun to just whack away. Cause I played, um, 
uh, final fight, which is very similar yeah. to Streets of Rage, and it's like Capcom's version for like the Super Nintendo and stuff. And I yeah. played that, and I was like, yeah, this is really fun, but it's like quirky Japanese. But then Streets of Rage was like almost brutal, like yeah. beating guys and like blood spilling everywhere, and you're just like knocking them with like iron bars and that kind of thing. It's so yeah. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. There was a lot of just like those amazing uh, like side scrolling like beat em ups. Like Splatterhouse was one of my favorite ever games because I loved Friday the Thirteenth as well. And I basically as a as a kid I watched so much stuff that I just wasn't I shouldn't have been watching. I don't <laughs> know what my parents were thinking. Like they just like my dad took me to see Terminator in the cinema. Like my like my the film that I watched every single day as a kid. And I'm not even kidding when I say every day. But I watched American Wolf in London every day. Um, and, and these games I was playing were super, really violent. I had no business being playing them as a kid, and but apparently my parents just didn't care. So, <laughs> so considering Streets of Rage is Streets of Rage Two is one of the you know best games available for the Mega Drive, according to like many critics. Mm. If you could only choose between like RoboCop versus Terminator or Streets of Rage Two, what would you? What would be the crowning? Mega Drive game, in your opinion? Oh, oh man, that's really tough. I think I oh, there's such there's such similar games as well, but I think I'd probably go for uh, I gotta go for RoboCop as Terminator. I think. Ooh, yeah, just because Street of Rage Two part of it was part of why I liked it so much was playing it with somebody else. And I guess if I'm on a desert island, I'm by myself. Yes. So well, you're not going to get I, the Viva Pinata animals to play games, are no, you? Really? No, no, no. Yeah, it's exactly. So I think you know, going for like a first, going for like a single player type thing. If I've got to choose between two of them, I go for Robocop versus Terminator. Fair enough. Fair enough. Awesome. So we're going to move on to your last game now. Okay. And it is an awesome game to end on, and a game no one's chosen so far during the podcast's lifespan, and I've been waiting really? for someone to choose it. Yes. People have chosen many other games from, you know, this series, one of gaming's most famous series. So I'm very much looking forward to you talking about this game. (laughs) So let's listen to some awesome music. I thank you for choosing this game just so I can go and edit this podcast and listen to this music. Okay, Gav, so the last game on your list today, the last game that is going with you to the Viva Piñata Island was developed by Nintendo EAD Tokyo and produced by Mario creator Shigeru Miyamoto. 
It was released for the Nintendo Wii in November of 2007, with a Wii U release coming last year. Players take control of Mario on a series of platforming adventures in space, with the game having a unique take on gravity and camera perspective. It became one of the highest ranking games of all time on Metacritic and received immense critical acclaim. It's one of the best-selling Wii titles available and sold over 13 million copies. It's Super Mario Galaxy. They're such a good game. Like, I don't understand how this has not come up before in your show. Because I think it might be, it is the best Mario game. Like, I generally do think. Like, I know a lot of people argue between Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario, or Super Mario World, which, like, still amazing games. But yeah. I just, I don't think anything has come close to the level. Like, the game, the level design on this stuff, like, just how smart people were. And there's so many amazing ideas going on in this game where they'll just go, Okay, we'll just do a world where like this is happening. Oh, like and it's just bonkers. <laughs> like how are they just allowed to get away with all this different stuff. It's so good. Well, we've had like Super Mario sixty four, we've had Super Mario World, we've had uh Super Mario uh Bros three, but we've not yeah. had Super Mario Galaxy. And I agree with you that it is like it's for me, it's either Super Mario World or Super Mario Galaxy, two completely different games yeah. that almost both define the eras in which Mario was at at the time, like Super Mario Galaxy yeah. being 3D and Super Mario World being like the last 2D adventure for a while. But Super yeah. Mario Galaxy, when it came out, well, even when it was announced in E3 2006, it just like, what? Upside down, shooting all over the place, yeah. doing all these crazy things. It was incredible. Such an just a complete change it was like almost like a reinvention of mario we had mario 64 um that you know was just people were like what 3d what is going on this is amazing and then yeah mario galaxy was almost that kind of holy fuck what what is what are nintendo doing what the hell is going on and it was so much fun it's just it's really hard as well like the lava spire like in the melty molten galaxy i think it was like that's one of the hardest things i've ever done in games but then <laughs> like I, I remember again this is one of the games that i'm i managed to get with my wii when i didn't really have a job so it was just like it was just perfect time because i could just plow so much time into it but then like the dreadnought galaxy is also just oh man like some of those levels and some of those bosses which are so solid. And again, it's one of those things where you can play something and play and play and play and be like, I don't know how I'm ever going to beat this. And <laughs> then you go away, you leave it and go away and come back and you're like, oh, that was easy. I can do that. Um, but it's just like, it's an unrelenting game. But that's the best thing about it is it's so unrelenting and it's really hard in some places, but it's packaged up as this beautiful like galaxy game, this Mario, beautiful Mario game where you have like the ship and you have all the little toes working around to like help you fly the ship and you know, this beautiful thing going on. Oh man, it's so good. But, but <laughs> for some reason, like Galaxy 2 never touched me in the same way that Galaxy didn't touch me. Then like hit me in the same way as Galaxy did for some reason. I played it, I was like... I think it's all right. I just don't think it's as good. Um, I think because when you're experiencing all those different worlds and all those different galaxies, like as for the first, for the first time. Yeah. And just like one of those first times when you sort of like as Mario, like run all the way around a world and you're upside down and stuff like experiencing that, like for the first time is never going to be as good. I don't think. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. Uh, Super Mario Galaxy 2 reviewed almost exactly the same as Super Mario Galaxy. And a lot yeah. of people thought, it was the almost like the definitive version of Galaxy games because it took a lot from yeah. the first game 
in terms of the level design and the music, which is incredible. Like Mario music is very iconic, but Super Mario Galaxy's yeah. orchestra soundtrack is just as good. It's so amazing. It's hard it's to describe. How, yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. It's it, it's very hard to describe how good it is because it doesn't quite have like the iconic riffs of you know the limited like NES and SNES yeah. sound chips, but. Super Mario Galaxy 2 had all the levels, had all the music and that kind of thing. And a lot of people are like, well, if I have to choose one of the Galaxy games, I'm going to choose two because it's almost like the yeah. first game, but with a n- nice little bit of polish over the top to make it a little bit better. So it's surprising to hear you say yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it just, I don't know what it was about it. I just didn't like, maybe because at the time I'd, like I'd started working for official Nintendo magazine by that point. So... <laughs> it's really hard when you work for official when well when official Nintendo magazine is still a thing but it was really hard when you work for them because you only get like three good games a year when you work for a, a Nintendo magazine so it's like you cover those games to death uh, like okay. and it was one of those things where like constantly talking about Galaxy 2 everything we were doing we were just like building up to the launch of it so I think and that definitely does happen with some games as well which is like I try not to get involved in as much preview stuff now because I'd rather cover a game after I've actually played it loads yeah um, and I'd rather you know because you, know, you play a game and then you know why you like it but it can happen definitely where just always talking about it like every single week is a new trailer and you've got to do all these different interviews and all this different stuff I kind of with now that I can, I kind of try and take a step away from that so I can play games as sort of dry as possible going in, um, which is really hard to do when you have to cover stuff. But luckily, I don't have to do news or anything like that. I just get to do cool features. So I'm a little bit lucky in that respect. <laughs> so Super Mario Galaxy, you know, we haven't gone back to Super Mario Galaxy or Nintendo don't really mm. have any plans to go back to Super Mario Galaxy. So because of 2, would you are you fine with there not being a Super Mario Galaxy 3? Um, I do. like that's the thing. They could carry on making those forever. I think like I'm just looking at pictures of Gusty Garden Galaxy now and just like remembering <laughs> the music from that. But um, oh yeah. But I kind of think with Nintendo, they're really good at just doing something else and just doing something new. And I think to go back and do a Galaxy Three, I, I, like I don't know. I don't think people would be expecting that, and I don't think they care. They can just go, oh, we've got this cool new idea and do something else. I guess. Um. But it's really hard. Like, I'd like to see what they actually could do. But then, you know, they're, they're happy enough to muck around in that new Super Mario um, Brothers sort of world. Then I think they could go back to Galaxy and do something really, really good. But, yeah. you know, th- that's the thing with Nintendo. I don't think they're ever going to do anything. They're not going to do ever. They never do anything for the money, I don't think. No. Like, they would never go back and do something unless they thought they could really do a good job of it. So, yeah, I guess if they want to go back to it, I'll definitely play it. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Super Mario Galaxy has, like, the 120 stars, and then you could play as Luigi. And then basically you play yeah. the whole game again, getting, like, 120 stars again. Did you do that when yeah. you were, like, yep. you didn't have a job Absolutely. and you were playing through it? Like. Absolutely, because I was poor, so I only had I only had these. I think it was Scarface, Super Mario Galaxy, and Resi Four. So <laughs> those are the only games. Like, like the, I started off with Scarface and Resi, then got Galaxy. Like, so spent some of my money, on, like my three hundred pound a month wages on it, which is bonkers. Um, rather than buy food, so yeah, I played it to absolute death, which. I don't, you don't really get any more now because I have to play a lot of stuff yeah. to work. But I remember even like there's, there's something special to be said about buying a game 
that you actually don't like that much, but you're so poor, you're like, fuck. But that's I've when you. 40... Yeah, that's yeah, when you fall in love with games that are bad, like good, bad games. Yeah. Like everyone has one of those games that is objectively I, bad, I, but you're yeah, like, no, I had, I had fun with that game. I had like a lot of fun with that game. I 100% did Infamous and I fucking hated that game. <laughs> like absolutely despise that game. Like I hated it. I absolutely hated it. But I 100% did it because I was poor and I bought a game and I was like, ah, like... I can kind of see that's, you know, it's, there's so many games coming out all the time now. And I can kind of see why, like, I, I talked to someone in um, our US office, Katie, the other day. And she was like, we were I think we were talking about um, Everyone's Gone to Rapture. Okay. Uh, and she, yeah, Everyone's Gone to Rapture. And she basically was like, oh, yeah, I'm just watching it on YouTube. Because she's like, didn't have enough, you know, she can't afford to buy like every game. So she's just watching that game on YouTube, watching someone do a let's play of it. <laughs> <laughs> for me it was just mental i was like why would you ever do that but i can definitely see why people do that because games are so expensive like there's people watching this so we've just started this new dark Souls series and there's people watching that who never played dark souls because yeah. you know they for whatever reason they never took a punt and spent 40 quid on it even though i think you can probably get it for about a tenner now but like so people are watching i do it i do it quite a lot but like you know i'll watch i'm interested in a game that i'll never play Sort of thing. Like, it's, there's that it's intrigue really now, especially with like Twitch, where a new game gets released. I remember when The Order came out, uh, 1866 mm. or whatever it was called, and I was like, I'm not going to buy that game, and it's not reviewing very well, but it looks gorgeous. So I really yeah. want to see what it like plays like. I, you know, you can just like boot up Twitch, and find the game. There's like ten streams of people playing it, and just click and then just watch yeah. people play, and you're like, eh, it looks kind of okay, but I'm not going to buy it. Yeah, it's really strange, isn't it? Like the way that people sort of consume games and stuff, and like the you know people, it's a thing that people you know people aren't are not just interested in a game, but they they'll be like, oh, I can't wait to see PewDiePie play this because they're not they don't want to watch the game, they want to see how their you know favorite celebrities play that game sort of thing. Yeah. Um. There's there's not that many people that I actually watch on video stuff, but like, uh, yeah, I can kind of understand that if you didn't have enough money to buy all the different games and shit like that. Like, I'm lucky to be in a position where I don't have to spend money on games that much. Yes. Um, but I can definitely see why people would do that. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. But like with a game like Mario Galaxy, you would never want to watch someone play that. You would. I couldn't help but like, no, just give me the controller. I need to play. I need to play. It looks amazing. Yeah. Just give it to me. Yeah, I guess. That, <laughs> yeah, you're not playing Mario games for the... Yeah, exactly. It's just gameplay in its purest form with Mario games because it's just like, yeah. there's no story to it, really. Um, no. I couldn't tell no. you what exactly the story was for Galaxy. But I you can, are playing I can, that I can because tell you exactly. It's... Princess Peach was stolen by Bowser. There you go. But I think he steals her entire castle this time. Like, which, fair play, play, play to him. Like, uh, <laughs> still an entire castle with everyone in it. Like, all the staff and everything. I don't know. But, um, yeah, like, you're playing that to for the fun of actually playing it rather for the story, which I would like to say is why I play games is for storyline and things like that. Um, but you can't really argue that with Mario games. No. <laughs> it is definitely, like, gameplay in its most purest form. Definitely, yeah. But purest form being dressed up very pretty, like... Because Mario yes, Galaxy's beautiful. graphics and its orchestral music, the presentation is absolutely awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a game to end on. Mario Galaxy is such a great game. And 
one of those games I can't that believe we, no one's done it before no we've had you know super mario world mario 64 and super mario Bros. 3 but yeah, yeah. like it, i think it's one of those things i think a lot of people especially mario fans it's always a toss-up they're always like do you know what mario galaxy is like amazing and i really want to choose it but it's too new if you get me mm. they think oh if i'm gonna choose a mario game the older game like super mario world especially like yeah. in my eyes that is like the game the mario game i should choose if i'm going so i think yeah. it's always it's, pretty, it's yeah, always it's in hard, contention like, yeah it was hard when i was putting this list together because there are games i've played like recently where i was like oh that's really good i liked it but then yeah it's the thing of if you, yeah, I guess like the reason you would go for a lot of older games is because one, they're probably harder and there's more to them. Um, but I probably would get on to the Desert Island day one and fucking regret putting Pushover on there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? It's like, especially in this case, although it kind of started out as a show about nostalgia, it's definitely become a show more about practicality, about yeah. what would you choose on a deserted place? Because you're not going to be wanting to play Pushover. You're not going to be wanting to collect in Quavers for the rest of your life. You're going to be yeah. wanting to play maybe a game that like Hotline Miami where you can get better and better at it yeah. and you can replay it over and over we, again. We actually, talk, we actually talked like randomly about like Desert Island stuff. You're, it was like three things we had to pick on the IGN UK podcast recently. And my boss picked Minecraft, even though he's never played it. Um, so we were like, what are you doing? What if you don't like it? And he was like, there'll be something to do. He basically picked it on the practicality sense of, yeah. you know, he could do yeah, whatever absolutely. he wanted in Minecraft. It was basically like having Lego. And even though at the beginning I was like, oh, you idiot. Why would you do that? What if you didn't like it? I actually was thinking about putting Minecraft on this list, even though I'm not really that into Minecraft. Because I just thought, <laughs> well, you know, it'll probably, I'll just, like a friend of mine the other day, he sent me this amazing uh, like screenshots of what he'd done. And he built like a working railroad um, in his Minecraft world. And I was just looking at him, how long did that take you? And he was like, mm, it's taking me months. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, if I was going to do that, then that'd be good for me if I was on a desert island. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's the kind of practicality mm. of it. Although it's always nice to talk about nostalgia and it's always lovely to be like, ah, Super Mario Galaxy, you know, I could finish it once, never play it again, but at least I would have Super Mario Galaxy with me to exactly, always remember. Yeah. yeah. And for the music alone as well. <laughs> I go on about the music for that game because it is just absolutely fantastic. That's yeah, awesome. It's really good. <laughs> well, Gav, the last question I ask people on the show is if you could choose any console, including the back catalog. So yeah, you get those eight games, but you get the console to only play those eight games. But you could have one console, um, not including PC, with the whole back catalogue included, what would you choose and why? I think I, oh man, like I'd like to think maybe like a, uh, like a really retro console, but I think PlayStation 1, because that's got like the games that really, even though like a lot of the old games I played like really got me into games, PlayStation 1 is the first time that I remember thinking like what games could actually be, which sounds so fucking wanky when I say it, but just like I remembered like, you know, playing Final Fantasy 7 and just not being able to get my head around, because I never played a Final Fantasy game before, so not being able to get my head around just how fucking massive that game was and the <laughs> amount of stuff to do in it. Yeah. Like, 
I remember, I remember like right at the end of the Shinra building, I was playing it with my friend Dan growing up and we were like, oh, this must be the end boss then. Like, because that's how our minds worked. We were like, oh, you get to here and you go to level one, level two, level three. Level. And it was just like, that was that and Metal Gear Solid and Resident Evil was the first time that you kind of realized, oh, it doesn't have to, they can be just these worlds that you just inhabit for a little bit. And I think PlayStation 1 has got so many amazing games on there. Like there was a guy that lived behind me, which is bad to say now, but I, I was fucking a kid, man. I didn't know any better, but there's a guy that lived behind me who used to like um, sell for, I think a tenner, like all these like copied games. And I did like the thing where I would, you know, do the sort of disc swap thing to be able to play games and stuff like that. And yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. I remember just, I played so many games through for the first time in black and white. It's unbelievable. <laughs> like <laughs> I played like Parasite Eve, played that all the way through in black and white. Uh, Final Fantasy Nine, all the way through in black and white. Like was it nine? Yeah, all the way. Th- all these different games I played in black and white for the very first time. It's just mental, um, <laughs> but really good though. Well, there you go. You can have the PlayStation yeah. One with the back catalog. You know, games like Final Fantasy, all the Final Fantasies, the yeah. Gran Turismo's, the Resident Evil. You know, yeah, wonderful games, wonderful games, fantastic. Well. Gav, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's amazing to be able to speak to you about these games. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, man. This was really fun. No, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Is there anything you would like people to know about or anything you're doing you want people to check out? Um, Well, if you don't know who I am, then yeah, I do loads of different stuff on IGN. um, So you can check that stuff out, uh, which is pretty fun. Like, yeah, follow me on Twitter because I'm always banging on about different stuff that I do. I do regular features, which is a podcast I get to do with three of my best friends, which is just us fucking about every week, which is really, really fun. (laughs) It's Um, great. And we do live shows in London. Yeah, we do live shows in London every month at the Canal Cafe Theatre. So if you fancy coming to see just four people getting by by the skin of their teeth in front of a room full of people. Um, then yeah, you should definitely come along to that as well. And I've got a, a fitness podcast about me trying to be less fat that's called Jabber to Jedi. Um, you should check that out as well. That's awesome. it, I think. Awesome. A lot of things, a lot of good a good things yeah. going on with you. That's really cool. So yeah, you can check me out as well uh, on Twitter at LeeMBME and you can check out the show at Final Games Show. You can also email us at finalgamespodcast at gmail.com and we're on SoundCloud and iTunes and you can do that lovely thing of rating and reviewing us and all that kind of thing, that lovely stuff. Um, So thank you once again to Gav for joining me. It's been amazing to have you on and uh, I hope you'll join us next time. So thank you very much and goodbye. Bye.